Free Talk Live, 855-450-3733. That's the SACL's toll-free call-in line, 855-450-FREE. You can go to freetalklive.com. You can uh, interact with the show, not just on the air, but online as well. There's an area there where you can upload your own news stories, blog posts, whatever it is you'd like. You can vote on people's other people's news stories. They can vote on yours. It's a it's it's a voting up and down kind of community online. Freetalklive.com. Let's go to Dale. I, I, I didn't introduce you. I'm Dale. <laughs> Dale <laughs> from uh, fr- fr- flamingfreedom.com and anarchyinyourhead.com, right. the, uh, the the hilarious webcomic. Flamingfreedom.com is the home of Prometheus Unchained, a, another Liberty show. So, Let's go to Matt in Illinois. Matt? Hello? Hello. What would you like to talk about, Matt? Um, um, last week sometime, uh, Kurt called in talking about uh, uh, voting. Yes. And um, he made a, a couple of uh, there was a couple of things wrong. I already pointed out one of the things I felt was wrong with this argument, but I, I, there was another thing that I wanted to point out that, uh, that I felt was fallacious in his argument. He asked, um, uh, "Under what circumstances can you choose uh, to have somebody else's somebody else's leader, somebody lead for them?" And I wanted to point out that I don't think that voting is voting for somebody else's leader. I consider it. An opinion. I consider it that somebody is asking you your opinion of who would be best to hold an office, a public office, and it has nothing to do with voting for somebody else's leader. You know, there's something to be said for that uh, that attitude, um, Matt, because in fact somebody is going to fulfill that office. So the suggest and suggesting otherwise is really patent nonsense. I mean, there's no there's no historical evidence in this country of really that happening. You know, some some minor uh, you know, municipal level. Uh, you know, roles might go unfilled if somebody doesn't vote for, say, keeper of the checklist or something like that. But if they need somebody to do that job, they'll either hold another election or they'll appoint somebody to do it. So it really is sort of your opinion as to who's going to be in there. But I can also see how Kurt says that it's picking somebody else's leader. Um, to me, I consider voting to be a self-defense measure. Uh, I know that somebody's going to fill that role, and there are better and worse candidates generally. And I would like the one that is going to visit upon me and my friends the least amount of tyranny. Well, I, I agree with that opinion. And, um, you, you know, if, if somebody's going to ask me an opinion, I do have the right to express that opinion. So I don't find that morally objectionable. I know that there's some people out there that are finding that morally objectionable. But as far as I'm concerned, it's just asking an opinion. And whether or not you decide to follow this gentleman, you know, who, whether it's Barack Obama or um, Tom Smith for mayor of your town, whether or not you choose to follow his example or let him lead you, that's up to you. All, all, they, did for me, all, they, all they got from me was an opinion. I'm very careful to, only, to express clearly that I only find it moral, morally objectionable for me to do which i don't understand that to, to me that like, uh, i don't try to i'm not going to tell someone else uh well it, i think it's because i think it's because um i don't feel like uh you know i only I, morality is always going to be a fuzzy thing there's always going to be a differences of about what you what you feel is right what i feel is right for me to do i can't tell you that what you're doing is immoral for instance if you sincerely in your heart believe that you're doing the best thing you can uh, in the situation 
And, uh, you know, so I, I think there, it gets into sort of an emotional aspect of it, because if you sincerely believe you're doing the right thing, that it's hard for me to say you're being immoral. You right. know, it's but it's it, morality, in my opinion, is something that's universal and, and you can apply it in a user, universal fashion. So if it's immoral for you, it should be immoral for me. Mm. Matt, did you have something to say? No, it's just uh, well, it, it's, that's my opinion. If okay. I had to explain why I if I had to explain why I am not comfortable uh, voting, why yep. it's why for me it feels wrong to do myself is because I feel uh, I know that actions are being taken based on that opinion being expressed. You the, think the, they are? The, the, um, uh, there's no. Uh-huh. The, I don't know that that's necessarily true. Mm. I mean, when you see the, some of the videos from the 2008 uh, Republican primary here in New Hampshire, you can see that the those people that uh, you know are counting the votes are not going about it in a legal fashion. Mm-hmm. There are claims that uh, the Diebold's machines were hacked in Ohio. There is proof that the Diebold machines can be hacked. Well, there are claims of uh, vote. That, 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 if anything, that just makes me like that, that's even that's less uh, so, like reasons to vote, <laughs> less reasons to vote. But I, I, you know, the premise is the premise of the system is that that opinion is actually going to make cause things to happen. That's, that, the, that's premise. the whole premise of the system. And there's also uh, it, there's an honesty aspect of it, too. My opinion is that none of, no one should be in charge. And so the most honest uh, expression of my opinion is not to vote and to and to speak out about it, not just to not go vote. I mean, that means nothing. A lot of people don't vote, and it doesn't have any meaning whatsoever. But but uh, but I do make a choice to speak out against that process, and I understand. And, and again, I'm not going to try and and call people immoral if they decide to vote for what they think is the lesser evil or what they think is going to cause the least harm out there. Uh, but I'm I'm I feel that uh, it's it feels dishonest to me to go and to speak out against that whole process, but then to play to partake of it. Uh, and I also feel that it's it's such a it's of such so little significance. Uh, and, and for me to go out and vote really be, it it really sends the the wrong message. It implies that I do assign some kind of significance to that act when I really don't think it makes any, any big difference. Some people have called voting a suggestion box for the slaves and Mm. you know, slave might be a tough term. Maybe we could use the term surf. I I feel like that makes a little more sense as to what we are. Um, if you own land, you do have to pay a quick rent on it. Now we call it property tax, but it's essentially the same thing. The government believes that it owns the land. It believes it owns your body. You're somewhere between a slave and a surf. Um, perhaps not as uh, bad as history has treated slaves and serfs in the past, but the, uh, if there is a suggestion box for slaves, I see no problem with using the suggestion box. Now, one can, one can say to oneself, well, what's the point in giving them suggestions? But, I, you know, at the same time, what's the point in not giving them I, suggestions? It's, I, I don't even know if I... Uh... I see, I, I can see a problem with it in the sense that I'm constantly uh, – it's like an activism thing for me to speak out against uh, the, the democratic process because it's, it's, it's a key – I think it's a key problem with what's wrong in the world is this idea of uh, – I think there's this – it's a justification system for a lot of uh, the people that are doing the violence. As they you – know, Bush himself said, I, I have a mandate from the voters. So he felt justified in everything he was doing because, you know, hey, look, they reelected me knowing what I was going to do. So that's a, that's a mandate from the voters. And when, in fact, they were given a choice between two, and a lot of them were voting for what they thought were the lesser of two evils. And the politicians so the are always campaigning on. So, so, you know, so Bush's interpretation is of uh, the voting process is flawed. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that, um, in fact, when you're voting, you're giving one of these guys a mandate. Right. I mean, it is it certainly isn't what, it the, certainly isn't what most people are doing. But again, your actions have effects and they're in. And, and uh, 
Most and I think it's much more powerful colostomy bag. Yeah, and it's much more powerful a statement for me to 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 speak out against the democratic process to to be consistent in my actions with what I say, and then uh, and when I really have no faith in that vote to have any meaning whatsoever. I mean, literally taking the fifteen minutes, it, if it, it probably longer than that, but let's say it's a really simple process for me to run out and vote. The fifteen minutes to do that is like I I, sh- I could have been cleaning the lint out of my belly button and and been more had a more productive fifteen minutes. You know, that's the way I look at it. So I'm not going to I'm not going I, to it's it feels like a really silly game for me to go play. And, and I just feel I feel silly at the least and uh, a little bit ashamed at, at the worst for, for engaging in that and playing this little game where uh, trying to get some sense of hope that I've done something when I don't really feel that I am. I don't feel that that is doing something positive. In my personal experience, I have seen instances where voting, one vote matters. Now, usually mm-hmm. this is on the town level uh, where, you know, they, but, but the, the town level is just as tyrannical as the federal level, fr- frankly. And for me, I feel like if I don't take that stand for me and mine, that, um, and by, by that I mean my friends, my family, my whomever, that I am letting them down. So if I don't, you know, if, if my one vote really does matter and I haven't placed that vote, I feel like I have let down people that were counting on me. You know, that that's my role to protect them. And well, I, 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 I don't feel that way. I don't, I, I, I uh, you know, the... I don't know when that one vote is going to really count. It's an astronomical, rare thing. It's no, like it's I, I can play the lottery, but I'm still it still costs me a dollar every when, time I play, and I'm probably never going to win. Vote in your town. I don't know that it's astronomical. <laughs> I mean, it's most votes are you know by a relatively small margin. Anyway, uh, free talk live eight fifty five four fifty free. Government control is on the wane, and freedom can be bought for a reasonable price. One man will unite with a former public transportation worker, a shady senator's runaway daughter, two orphans, a retired space marine, an alien, and an intelligent spider, and journey together beyond the outer reaches of human civilization to protect the future of human liberty. Also, there are space cows. Read it online now at burningrockranch.com. Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line. It's Mark with you. And Dale. And um, you, know, you, you can I, go to Free Talk Live. What's that? I know, go on. Okay, you can go to freetalklive.com. <laughs> Check out the archives there. We have archives going back for like five years to 2006. They're all free, free to you. Go to archives.freetalklive.com and you can listen to them. It's a great offer. Most radio shows aren't going to do that for you. Every day we talk about Nature Bee Plant Pollen here on Free Talk Live. I've been taking my two golden capsules for going on 18 months now, maybe a little longer than that. And since I've been taking them, my digestion's working better, I sleep better, I have more energy. Here's Mike Buck to explain why Nature Bee is the best. Hello there, Mark. And you know you're right. Look, unlike other bee pollen, our patented process breaks open those cell walls, release the full nutritional power from the amazing, pristine environment from clean, green New Zealand. You know everybody knows bee pollen is one of the most original, ancient superfoods. Praised throughout history, every civilization. Well, scientific research shows pollen actually boosts energy, aids immunity, gives you a healthy heart, prostate, blood pressure, cholesterol, all the good stuff, none of the bad stuff. And you know nature bee is not ordinary pollen. 
pollen. That potentiation process unlocks the incredible natural power. Unlike expensive supplements, Nature Bee is truly bioavailable, highly effective, no preservatives, no color, and no chemicals. Now, uh, Nature Bee is great for you, and I consider it to be a great value. Do you have a special deal for us? Always. Check this out. Free Talk Live, a giant six-month supply, $99.95 plus delivery. Three extra months is a bonus. That's 37 cents a day to feel like a million bucks. And don't forget that money-back guarantee. A couple of ways to do it. One's to call toll-free all the way to Auckland, New Zealand, 1-866-834-8355. That's 1-866-834-8355. And the other, easier yet, online, NatureBee, that's NatureBee.com. Like I've said before, once you try NatureBee, you'll be just like me. You won't want to be without your NatureBee. There is a 100% money-back guarantee, call in just like I did, 866-834-8355. Now it's 866-834-8355. Let's go to Dave in New Hampshire. Dave? Hey, guys. Can you hear me all right? Can hear you fine. I wanted to uh, update you with regard to my Freedom of the Press trial that's coming up on Thursday in New Hampshire. I have been paying attention to this. Please uh, let let our listeners know. On uh, May 25th of uh, this year, I was trying to videotape outside a Joe Biden event, and I was arrested. They, uh, the, the police talked the hotel into asking me to leave, and when I left, I did it the Ridley way, <laughs> which is <laughs> backwards, and uh, they didn't like that, so they, they took me out. So um, uh, just to give people a clear picture, you were at a Joe Biden event where you were you know, doing some videotaping. The cops, the cops basically cajoled the, the hotel into getting, you, getting them to let you, you – know, to, to make you leave. And when you did, you're slowly walking backward and videotaping the cop as he's coming towards you kind of thing. And that's when they, de- they decided you didn't leave quite quickly enough. Is that it? Well, their exact words were you're not making an active attempt to leave the property. That's what they said. I see. But, and they actually followed you all the way down to the parking lot, and that's where they they, they uh, arrested you, right? Yeah, I mean, they arrested me probably 100 or 200 yards from where they um, where they told me to leave. So I'd gotten quite a, quite a distance. It was it was not very slow by Ridley standards because it was a long way to go to get out of the get out of the property. Um, but anyway, it's just it's just wrong on so many different levels. First of all, because they would try to get the hotel to make me leave because then the hotel would try to make me leave a Joe Biden event, which, you know, technically they've got the right to do, but it's really a public event, you know, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of mainstream media that's allowed. Yeah. They why why are leave. you being asked to leave? Right. Exactly. You haven't done, you haven't made any disturbance or anything like that. So what are the chances? I mean, that you say this is a trial. Is, is it really going to go to trial? Is a judge really going to do this? Well, it's scheduled for trial, and they've gone through all the motions of doing a trial. However, my lawyer suggested to them and to me, why don't we make this so that it's put on file and just kind of goes away? What that would be is sort of like dropping the charges, but not immediately. Okay. Uh, so that's what he's, they're playing with that right now, my lawyer and the prosecutor. Normally, I don't use a lawyer, but in this case, the facts of the case are so much in my favor. It's not really a case of just the law being unjust, but more of the the uh, accusations being inaccurate. Yeah. In this so case, it it, like pretty, it, it'd be terrible to go to jail for this one. Like a, it's a relatively winnable case. It would certainly be win- winnable in a fair trial. 
uh, obviously you don't get those in the United States anymore. But uh, anyway, what were you going to say? What are the chances you can do something to the cops about this? I mean, to me, this is, uh, you know, I don't know if what they did was illegal, but it's certainly immoral. They're using their official power to cajole the hotel into to kicking you out. The hotel kicks you out of a public event. You're as much the press as anybody else is. I mean, it's I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, if you're talking about a lawsuit, I'm sort of a, I'm sort of a peaceful version of a guerrilla fighter. So a good guerrilla fighter doesn't use doesn't fight on the enemy's chosen ground. He'll fight on ground where he has the advantage. Yeah, um, I can under, I can me, relate to that. I can understand that. It's, me, it is frustrating though. For me, that's in the media, you know. So I fight sure, and I have been doing so, but through publicity mostly. Now, a suit is is is, is possible if they really do go ahead and try me. Then uh, you know that I win. Uh, then we could sue them for uh, inappropriate behavior because part of what they did uh, was they groped me. They actually grabbed me in the groin when okay. they did this, and that was, of course, not appropriate. Yeah, Just leave people's groins alone. This is right. the, in the right place That's for it. <laughs> right. So, um, what's the what's the plan around the trial? Uh, well, I scheduled a protest for 11 a.m., and I think that whenever you have a trial, whenever they, the authorities take you to trial, especially in New Hampshire, you should schedule a protest to happen before the trial because they can't change the date and time of your protest. You know, what, what often happens with trials is they mess you around. Oh, look, they've begun, done all this stuff to prepare for being tried. Well, we'll just change the date. So yeah. all their friends showed up on the wrong day. Ha-ha. They do that. Well, right. They, you know, the, the suggestion is that these trials are public. And I suppose that's true. If you want to just go sit in there and watch trial after trial after trial, uh, you know, the, the, the judges ringing the cash register for the state, you could do that. But if you want to go see your friend's trial here in New Hampshire, they don't like people supporting the accused in this state. And I suspect none of the states, but it just doesn't happen in too many other ones. And they'll attempt to move the court, uh, the courtroom around. They'll change the time. They'll change the day. They'll do whatever they want. One, th- one thing happened with uh, this, this gal, Catherine Bleich. She had her day changed. She came from Texas for a trial, and they moved the date on her. I mean, that's... I'm glad you, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that, because she was the inspiration for me in this idea that you always schedule a demonstration before trial. That way, it doesn't matter whether they change the day of the trial, you still get to have your event, and it's still worth people coming out there. And then, if they've moved the date, it all happens again in two or three months. I, I, I see advantages to what you're saying as far as scheduling the, the demonstration. Where's the demonstration going to be held? Right out in front of the courthouse? Yeah, just in front of the courthouse. And is the goal to do... What, what's what's the goal to do with the, the demonstration? Just to... Well, just to draw attention to the to the concerns. I mean, okay. the, one of the for me the biggest thing I like about demonstrations is it just gives people something to photograph. You know, the media doesn't have much luck in a courtroom. It's gotcha. Much interesting to, to shoot video of. Dave, thanks or, for the uh, call. Free talk live. Are you a cigarette smoker? I was too for many years. You know that crap's going to kill you, right? There's a healthier option. 22,000 times healthier. Vaporsmiths.com. A pack-a-day smoker will save $120 a month and it tastes better. No more ashtray mouth. No smell. No secondhand smoke. You could use it just about anywhere. Free shipping on orders over $60 and a free starter kit with the purchase of 40 cartomizers with coupon code FTL. Call 855-2-GET-VAPOR or go to Vaporsmiths.com.
Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line, 855-450-3733. It's Mark with you. And Dale. Have you, uh, have you ever wondered whether markets are exploitation or empowerment? So many people think that the idea of the free market or free market capitalism or capitalism is exploitation of the worker. Professor Anthony Davies empirically examines the question of whether markets are ex- exploitative. He finds that trade positively correlates with wealth creation, jobs, reduction in child labor, and increasing wages. Markets empower individuals rather than exploit them. You can see this eight-minute-long video at learnliberty.org slash FTL. And of my favorite videos that I have uh, picked this might be my very favorite of those videos. It is uh, really awesome, and I think that it it totally encapsulates the the lie that is uh, people working to better themselves and their lives is somehow bad for the world. Um, so go check the check out this video, please. When you do check out this video, share it with your friends and family. Put it on Facebook. Share it everywhere. This video is so important. It's learnliberty.org/ftl. When you're there, check out the Liberty Academy link on the right hand side. It is a course for people who want online continuing education in economics, philosophy, liberty. Go to learnliberty.org/ftl. Dale, let's go to McFall in Pennsylvania. McFall? Hey, guys. I'm going to uh, resurrect a dead horse and beat on it a little bit. Excellent. We do love to resurrect dead horses. Uh, uh, Sometime last week, I honestly have no idea why, because I'm a podcast listener and my MP3 player never plays podcasts in order. But you talked about, uh, with Stephanie uh, and Wayne, the issue of uh, child rearing. I can assure you that was a Wednesday night if Wayne was on. Okay. And... um, there's something that I have noticed. Uh, uh, well, well, first of all, let me preface this by saying I have been enormously influenced by the uh, the work that uh, Wes Bertrand has done with um, the NVC and um, nonviolent Alvin Coons work. Nonviolent communication, right? Which, uh, yeah, uh, which is the idea of you know confronting people. Well, not confronting people, but um, facing issues with other people in a non-confrontational manner, you know, that tries to meet their feelings and needs rather than accusing them for, of doing wrong things and applying that to parenthood. Okay. Um, but there seems to be this this idea among a lot of the people who listen to or who are fans of this work that... Hold on just a second, Ms. Paul. Dale, Dale you, you're pretty much into this uh, work of nonviolent communication. I too. am. I haven't get delved into it very deeply yet, but okay. from what I've heard so far, I, I like the idea of it a lot. Yes. Okay, go ahead, McFall. Yeah, so I, li- I like the idea of it, but I've been kind of annoyed by, the, to be honest, the attitude of some of the people who, who are into it that... Um, well, frankly, it's it's kind of patronizing and makes a lot of assumptions about uh, other people. Um, it, and that could just be it's child, not being done right, though. I mean, if it seems patronizing, then they're then they're probably not doing it very well. Oh, oh, oh it, I'm sure I'm sure that's the case. It's probably not have, doesn't have anything to do with the theory. Yeah. Um, but on the issue of child rearing, especially, um, there was the the thing that kept coming up was Mark. You kept saying, "Do you have kids?" To the people who were arguing, and of course, uh, they didn't have kids, but they were saying, well, I was a child. Well, I was a child, too. And uh, when I was a child, I 
I have these very, this very strange ability to remember very clearly short memories from my childhood. I remember getting my diaper changed, which is kind of embarrassing. I've heard of I this. Remember, <laughs> I, I, I have a few calling. of those myself. I can remember some things, yeah. and I've described them to my family. They didn't believe me. I described them to my family, and they're like, there's no way you could have known that unless you remember yeah. it. So, And, and I... I remember crawling on the floor before I could walk from the pattern of a particular carpet that my parents say um, we, they moved out of the house when I was uh, two. So I remember my childhood before I was of a reasoning age. Now, a, another specific memory is my mom telling me, don't walk out in the street because cars will hit you if you do. I heard her. I had no idea what a car was. I didn't even know what the word hit meant. So I kept trying to cross the street, and she told me and told me and told me. And finally, she hit me on the bottom. It didn't really hurt, but it surprised me. And then I realized my mom, who I trusted and loved, did not want me to cross the street. A couple of years later, I tried it again, and I almost got hit. And then it clicked, and I knew, wow, that is why my mom didn't want me crossing the street. And that one single instance of physical contact, which, like I said, was not painful, it was just enough to surprise me, might have saved my life. Now, I, I just want to stress that, you know, people do not know the, other, the experiences, of, uh, experiences of other people. Um, the, you know, there's a lot of generalizing, I think, that goes on with the psychologizing and, you know, people saying that, you know, you can't be a rational person and have a, a good religious experience. Well, I can tell you that personally I have. Um, and... That, they would just uh, at that point they would just say that you're not rational. So I mean, you know, that that is the Well, that's begging the question. What's that? I said that's begging the question. Okay. You know, it's assuming the point that they're trying to prove. And I, I just it's not that I don't agree with their points. Like I said, my philosophy has been changed radically by this, you know, by these ideas. But I think that there can be times when a lesser amount of force can be used to prevent a greater amount of force. And it just seems to me that the parent is the only person who knows that, or at least they're the best person in that situation to make that decision. So, um, you know, this is we've, – we've been going over this, and, and some of the suggestions here that I, I find – you know, people making assumptions that I don't necessarily make and I haven't been making is that, you know, that the children are their um, own little free people. And if they were their own little free people, they wouldn't live at my house. Right. I mean, they wouldn't have to. They'd have their own little houses. And, um, you know, to some extent, I, I think that a child starts out as something akin to a pet and grows into a human being. And I can see that analogy. In fact, a lot of my, my opinions come from having pets. Mm-hmm. And, and if someone tells me, well, that's not the same as a child. Well, you're right. The, ch- the pet has even less ability to understand what I'm saying than the child does, if I, anything. I think the pet starts, I mean, you know? the, the pets mature more quickly. If you start out with a puppy um, and true, the same day yeah. you start out with a baby, the puppy so there's probably is going to be smarter at some point in this uh, in the, in this. You're right. There, there's the probably baby. less patience involved. But, you know, you, you can, and, and, but at the same time, you can experience uh, an arc of uh of experimentation you know in terms of trying to communicate and and yeah. maybe train a pet to not do something that's going to harm the pet or or maybe harm your furniture or whatever um there's a you can maybe experience that arc of experimentation and and the results of it faster uh, and 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 it's, it's i i so a lot of what i what i talk about in my opinions come from from pet rearing you know from 
taking care of a pet. Ian, um, and I'll is, admit that Ian is amazingly patient it, with animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main host of the show, who's going on, I believe. Oh, I've seen him do uh, train things. On day thirteen cats. <laughs> of his incarceration. Yeah, right. Cats trained to do tricks, and yeah. this isn't real common. And he'll use uh, systems of withholding food or withholding attention. He never strikes the right. animal, which. I, you know, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I can. I also had a cat who was just, just adamant about biting, and not hard, but he, you know, he liked to show his, uh, his, his uh, superiority by biting. And I'd sometimes inconsistently correct him by smacking him on the, on the nose. I'm not talking. I hit the cat across the room and drew blood or anything like that. I just popped him on the nose, and he would. If if I did this consistently for a, a few days, then he would. And that's how often I got bit, like all the mm-hmm. time. Uh, then he would try it out again. And, you know, he would he would think about it and then kind of like rear back as he was imagining getting struck and then he wouldn't do it. And then over a few weeks, if I uh, he might try it out again. And, you know, so he would he would really just try to see if he could get away with biting. Mm. And it worked. It was an effective means by popping the cat on the nose. I don't know how one. Yeah. uh, The question is, what did you sacrifice by hitting hitting your pet? Because you, you sacrifice some bond with your pet when you and some trust. Things like that. Uh, it might have solved that problem. Whatever, who knows whatever what he gets you out of chewing on my it, hand, you know? I definitely sacrifice. Yeah. Would my, be my, that. my thought is that that spanking might have saved your might have saved your life. Um, there, I think that if you're if you were too young to understand what she meant that uh, that the street was dangerous, the cars could hit you, and kill you, then then you're at an age where you should be kept away from the street. I, I would not rely on a spanking to prevent a child too young to understand that from running in the street. I wouldn't either. So I, I, maybe it did, but I don't think it's necessarily the best thing. Well, I, I, I can see why some parents choose to do it. Free Talk Live. This Your Family Today tip is brought to you by Nestle Pure Life Water, helping you drink better and live better by providing a zero-calorie alternative to sugary drinks. Visit us at nestle-purelife.us. When kids are playing, they often don't want to stop to keep hydrated, so send them out with a bottle of water and encourage them to take frequent drink breaks or call them inside for a quick sip. For more tips like these, visit us at parenthood.com slash yourfamilytoday. Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line, 855-450-3733. If you're a cigarette smoker, and I was too for many years, you know that cigarettes are bad for your health. You know that the chances of you dying from some cigarette-related illness is significantly higher, like lung disease, emphysema, all these things, than somebody who doesn't smoke. There's a healthier option, 22,000 times healthier. Vaporsmiths.com. A pack-a-day smoker will save about $120 a month, and it tastes better. No more ashtray mouth, no more smell, no secondhand smoke. You don't have to deal with people, you know, kind of sneering at your uh, the the smoke on your on your clothes. And you can get a free starter kit and free shipping if you go to Vaporsmiths.com. Purchase 40 cartomizers. Cartomizers are little things that have the nicotine in them and the, the vapor stuff. And, um, you know, go to Vaporsmiths.com, purchase the 40 cartomizers, use coupon code FTL. That's FTL is in Free Talk Live. You can call them at 855-2-GET-VAPOR or go to Vaporsmiths.com, 855-2-GET-VAPOR. 
vaporsmiths.com. Dale, we just uh, had McFall from Pennsylvania call in um, talking about uh, child rearing techniques and things like that. And, you know, one thing I didn't get to say that I really wanted to say is I think that people spank too much. Mm -hmm. I think some people spank enough that it's child abuse. And I don't mean child abuse in the sense of arm breaking and all that stuff. But I think that you can spank so often that you're doing something to the mind of your child. Mm. I think at the same time that um you know that, that, that there are instances when i can see as a parent the idea of spanking i haven't done it i don't intend to do it but i can see why you know for instance if a child is you know, different child children are different and this is one of the things that i i kind of feel like people who don't have kids don't understand is that they assume they're working with blank slates that don't come with their own personalities and that it you know if there's something wrong with that child well, it's the parents' fault, well, and all that, they have to do I, well, is you change their to, I, I'd have to concede to some extent. There's, there's certainly there are differences in, in children. Uh, there are autistic kids, for instance. Sure. That, that's a physical thing. It's not something you can't blame the parents for how they raise their kid that it, their child is autistic or something like that. And that, so that's just an extreme that's just example. Re- exactly, uh, but certainly there are personality differences between, between kids. I think it's far exaggerated. I really do feel that. That uh, if it's a if it's, if there's a serious problem that's not inherent to your child's genetics or something like that, I think it's it's I'm pretty much think it's how the child was raised or something in the child's environment that, that led to that for the and, most part. But um, the, the suggestion is is that people that uh, you know are raising children somehow know whatever this is in their environment that's causing their child to act this way. You know this uh, mm-hmm. this butter this her, uh, this this butterfly whose uh, wings are causing the hurricane in behavior uh, a way mm-hmm. that you know I I don't know did I put the, is that clown picture I think it's I think it's less I don't think I wouldn't blame anything as subtle as that I think it's uh, if anything I think it's something that might seem subtle just because if we were raised a certain way it just feels natural to us and if we turn around and repeat that um, then that seems that seems like the way you're supposed to do it or it seems like you're you're just doing things completely normally when some things are so ingrained into us that we repeat it and it just doesn't feel like we're doing anything that's it's it seems very subtle my my what I notice about this whole debate is it seems strikingly similar to when you hear the tired old sort of um, no state versus minimal state arguments, and you hear the the people arguing for minimal state are giving all these the sky's going to fall if we don't have at least a little bit of a state. You know, we got to have we got to have a, a you know a military a standing military because if we you know guys with guns in their backyards aren't going to be able to fight out a. Uh, fight off a foreign country you know it's a sky is falling if we don't do this little bit of a moral thing and uh and and and, and i i hate using the word moral because that gets very emotional but i think there's this idea it's good you know it's the sky's gonna fall if you don't spank your kids just a little bit and uh, i well, don't i don't personally buy it but i think it's important to state when i my position you know i'm not I don't want to take like an aggressive position against someone who pats their 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 child on the butt real quickly to get to startle them like that guy said i i'm not saying i'm not going to give it my sanction i i still don't approve of it i think it's wrong but and i think there are better things to do than that and and maybe i will i doubt anyone's going to convince me otherwise but i think the important thing is i'm not going to come after you if you're, if you're worried i'm going to send child services or something i'm i don't believe in 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 reacting that way and you know with, without a really a, a clear overt case of abuse i'll say that much but i'm not going to give my sanction to to what i think is counterproductive 
And uh, so I, th- I think that what happens here is that uh, p- parents, uh, people that – well, when, when you're talking about this minimal state versus this no state argument, it's not like either side really has the opportunity to get what they want anyway. However, every one of us has the ability to procreate or nearly every one of us has the ability to procreate. Mm-hmm. And what I think happens for parents is parents know that they're in a special situation. They've all been children, as have all the people who don't have children been children. And they also have been parents, which is an ex- a unique position, yeah, as opposed to not, you know, knowing knowing what it's like to have kids. I mean, the fact do, is, do you want me to not express my opinion anymore since I'm not a parent? This is the I, argument from authority. If I, I, you know, I'm willing to just, I'm willing to not have the discussion anymore. But it feels like the people who are parents are wanting very much for me to alleviate any cognitive dissonance they're having for spanking their kids. And I'm, and I'm saying I'm not going to come after you. I'm not going to use any kind of overt violence to tell you how to raise your child. But I'm also not going to give my sanction to relieve like whatever cognitive dissonance these parents are having because. On some level, they do feel bad about spanking their child. And I think, you know, listen to that. You know, don't don't argue with me to try and make that little voice go away. You know, I, I think I feel like this is, uh, you know, it's, again, there's this sky is falling approach to it, which is, look, I've got to do this or chaos will ensue. And I don't well, I don't quite buy that. Uh, we, <laughs> well, and, and the chaos doesn't cost you anything. Right. Like, so your opinion costs you nothing. The chaos that would result in if chaos would result. Uh, in, Dead children is but, something to me that's a cost to me, whether they're my, my children or not. It's not the I, cost that it is to the parent, though. Right. Uh-huh. Like, so, I mean, believe me, in today in the state of New Hampshire, a child died and uh-huh. it, you don't know anything about it. And it's it, it, that's OK. Um, and, you know, you shouldn't have to worry about it. But to those parents right now, it's the most devastating. It is a life changing life ruining situation most marriages fail after a child dies or many marriages fail after a child dies i mean you know the i I just don't think anyone can uh who doesn't have kids can really understand the depth and the breadth of the kind of fear i've never known fear until i've had children i won't pretend that i i won't pretend that i do i I don't feel like that is that uh, day the cat got out at your mm -hmm. house i think you might have some i had a i had a feel of it but i don't i would not compare that like i I try to i I will try to take that and amplify it dramatically to try to get a sense of it but i but i i i agree with you i don't feel like i can feel the emotional sense of that that does not change the fact that from a completely practical point of view i am nowhere near convinced that even if someone let's say someone's life was saved because they got spanked at a certain time i'm not convinced that that was the the uh the only way or even the best way that there wasn't a better way to, to have saved that per, that child's life and i think that one thing um that that people don't understand who don't have kids is sort of the amount of attention a child needs the 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 um the sort of uh the amount of attention that a parent simply can't provide especially a parent of several children for a child i mean you know you're you're doing something real quick and you turn around and your kid's gone or they're mm-hmm. into something dangerous as heck and so, i mean you know are am i a bad parent because i i, I was playing with the garbage cans and my kid wandered off in, inside of 30 seconds i don't think anyone would say that it like nobody with kids would say that uh, who actually raised well, kids what, what does it matter whether you convince me that it's okay to spank kids if i don't have any kids i mean it feels like these arguments are very powerfully directed towards people who don't have kids themselves i'm not gonna i don't have any kids i'm not trying to 
infringe on your right to spank your child in a reasonable de- to a reasonable degree, which seems to be all you'd want to do. A reasonable being a very a hazy. I'm not arguing object, to spank uh, my child. Thing. Bill. I mean, that's uh, well, a, uh, but you're, you're kind of speaking this. on behalf of people who are calling. No, in I, what I'm speaking on child, behalf so. of is frustration yeah. with people who don't have kids giving advice to people who do on the idea of spanking. And I mean, it's it, it it's a frustrating thing. It's like me giving a NASCAR driver advice on to drive. I mean, I've done a little driving. I should be able to give this guy some good advice on how to to properly. Uh, okay, you, know. you, you don't feel my opinion has much weight. Okay, I, I and it's That's not just the, your you, opinion. It, you see, you're, you're uh-huh. defending your position, but I'm uh, McFall was really calling in about a different conversation and it's you know just sort of the opinions of all kinds of people who have called in over the last couple of weeks there are plenty of people who have kids who have the same opinion and people who have raised their kids and done a very wonderful job without spanking Uh, so it's very difficult for me to buy this idea that it's that it must be done or the sky will fall so i live um well away from the road and Mm -hmm. um, my instance of spanking that has made the most sense to me is kind of different than um you know is is about is is about the road and so therefore my life's different i think some parents probably don't need to spank i'm not gonna not gonna spank (laughs) but some do some need to i wonder if that's the truth i wonder i don't know okay Free talk Whatever makes you feel better. Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line, 855-450-3733. It is the uh, show about your calls, and we're certainly going to get to calls when they, uh, when they roll in here. Uh, Dale, what, uh, what do we got for, for show prep? You said you had a... Well, there's, this, there's some interesting uh, data coming out about prison population statistics on... Uh, this is from the ACLU site. Tickle it for me because we got a caller here, and I just want people to know what we're going to be talking Basically, about. Basically, there seems to be a correlation between, like, actually, contrary to the intuitive, that lower prison populations are resulting in less crime. Interesting. Like, putting less people in prison. Huh. Let's go to Richard in, um, in New Hampshire. Richard? Hi, how are you? All's well. Um, I was calling, last week you guys were talking about military suicides. Yep. And, and uh, I just wanted to talk about, um, as, as a veteran myself who, who believed all this stuff and I volunteered to go to Iraq, um, there's actually, I, I hate to, to, you know, give props to a government institution, but vet centers are actually very helpful for veterans to get out. Because one thing that the story covered was military suicides for active duty military. It didn't cover suicides of people that actually got out and yeah and this, and this mm. is a big issue people come home can i thank you briefly for changing the subject also thanks <laughs> go on <laughs> yeah, <no problem. laughs> this, uh, and, and this is a huge issue people come home they've seen horrible things in war post-traumatic stress disorder that you know there's all kinds of repercussions uh, there's obviously lower employment in uh, vets because they have a difficult time you know, holding jobs down there you know that what's going on in their head is just so much more important at that moment 
Uh, there's violent between you know, domestic violence and all kinds of things. And I imagine suicides are, are another big issue. Uh, they definitely are. Uh, I've, I've, I've been there myself as, as somebody who, who went to Iraq. Um, I've been in a pretty bad spot after I got home. It took me a couple of years after I got home, and it was, it was really bad. But I found it, they're, they're, it's called the Vet Center. And like I said, I hate to give credence to a government program, but I, it's the only thing I've found that really helps. Well, it's, it's it's wherever they're collecting, you know, these people are collecting and their their uh, experiences or, uh, you know, they're getting together and sharing their experiences. I would think that that would be the place to go. And I could really care less what organization is uh, putting it up. I think that, you know, for God's sakes, the government should be doing something about it. And if they're um, somehow dealing with this in a relatively effective manner, that's great. Uh, you know, I mean, if there's some free market solution out there, I'd love to hear that, too. That doesn't it. You know, what matters to me is what is effective in this instance. Yeah, I won't complain. I, I'll complain. They're putting them in the situation that's causing them to commit suicide in the first place. I won't complain that they're trying to do something and, and maybe are to some degree successful to counter that. Definitely. I, I mean, I would love to see a free market solution for this um the nice thing about the vet center is the counselors are all veterans themselves they've all been there they've all seen it they know what you're going through they can help you um i know there are veterans that listen to this program I oh yeah we, the amazing thing um, is is the number of veterans we have a larger percentage of veterans that listen to free talk live i, I would suspect than most radio programs but it's an incredible number of, of, of veterans i i believe it i was led to uh, into liberty um from my anti-war uh, viewpoint led me to liberty so i can imagine there's there's vets out there and, and like i said I, I would just suggest them check out the vet center find a vet center it's better to go talk to somebody even if you don't need to than to not talk to somebody when you do need to so how does this um this ptsd kind of show itself i mean i've talked about a couple of ways did what was your your experience um i have uh major anger issues still. Um, they're better than they were, but I, I still get very angry at little things, stupid things that don't matter. It's uh, ruined multiple relationships. I can't, I can't, I can't hold a relationship because I get mad at stupid stuff, and eventually girls get upset with me and just yep. leave me. Wow. So when um, you do you like get mad at uh, you know like you're you're doing some project or something and something doesn't work out, and so you like smash the project, that kind of thing. Exactly. I throw things. I yell. Um, I'm lucky to still have a job. I'm not going to lie. Uh, fortunately, I'm pretty good friends with my boss, so. They tend to overlook me throwing things and yelling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's unfortunate because I, I just, you know, I, I got mad. My last girlfriend broke up with me because I flipped out over screwing up. Uh, I was cooking breakfast, and one of the eggs flipped onto the side of the pan, instead of the pan, and I flipped out. And I started yelling. I threw the spatula across the room. And, you know, it's like stupid, stupid crap like that. Yeah. It it's sounds clear. like you're on edge a lot because I, I know that that happens rarely for me. It's not a, it's not a problem that I have. And I think about when the times when it does happen, like like I am, I have to be really, really like stressed out and on edge when, and then I'll react like that to something very minor. And I wonder if that means that you're on edge quite a lot, uh, maybe because I, of your past and the PTSD. Sure, but, um, but yeah, it's 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 uh, I don't know. Ever, ever since I've got back from Iraq, I have I've been on edge, especially since. Now, I, I live in, uh, I hate to say, I live in constant regret of the choices I made in my past. Mm-hmm. Because I know volunteering to go to Iraq was wrong. I know what I did was wrong. You know, I could have spent have my you, last year in Okinawa, but I chose to go to Iraq. Have you, um, have you put effort into forgiving yourself? 
for that? I mean, do you feel like that would help you to get through, to work through some of that? I try to. Um, it's hard. Like I, I know I joined with you know, like most people, with noble intentions. I was like, I'm going to protect my country and do what's right. Sure. Um, and then just no, I, I, it, it's hard to forgive myself. Well, I try to every day. Yeah, Richard, here's one thing that um, you know I always think of when when people work for the government is I would rather have that guy that's trying to do the job the right way than some kind of murderous psychopath. I met one guy yeah. that was going into the military that I don't know the guy in real life or anything, but I spoke spoke to him for about a half of an hour, and he just spoke like a murderous psychopath who wanted to go into the military for the sole purpose of being able to shoot people that he wouldn't otherwise mm. be able to shoot, and yeah. like you may. Maybe, you know, somehow you being put on that plane and flown over there kept that guy from get, being able to, uh, to to carry out whatever he did. Well, the other thing is it kind of reminds me of the, you know, I said I'm sort of tired of the voting versus anti-voting or not voting debate from earlier. and But I said I, I'm reluctant to, to moralize. I'm reluctant to say someone is immoral. And, and that's because I feel like, you know, most of us are trying to do what we believe is right at the time. And uh, it's awfully difficult for me to try and judge you when you probably at the time were very convinced that you were doing a good thing. Am I? Am I understood? Would that would that be accurate? Or, Definitely. Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, my friend. Yeah, and so so I, it, it, you know, that's why I I, I don't. I, well, I'll, I can say I support our troops. I want them to come home. You know, I feel like most of them are trying to do what they've been taught and what, what they've been indoctrinated into believing is the right and noble thing. <laughs> And it's very you, difficult you for me in, to judge them. I was in the, the Navy. Navy. I, I, I've forgiven myself for that. I know? would have signed up during the first and, Iraq War if I could have. And then I went and yep. when I went and signed on with a defense contractor for eight years. Well, I, I I'm still working through the karma for that. But uh, I I try to look back on that, and you know, I at the time I I didn't have the understandings that I have as an older, more mature per- person now who has worked through these issues. And so I forgive myself for the mistakes of my past. Well, I, guess I, yeah. I try to do that. It's just, it's very difficult for me. And I probably should still be seeing a counselor, but my original one retired, and I didn't like the new one. He kept telling me how proud I should be that I was in combat. And I was like, I don't think that's something oh, I'm dear. proud of right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that's, there's a lot of mixed messages help there. You, <laughs> yeah, a lot of mixed messages and conflicts there uh, that can be right. very confusing. He kept telling me, you know, less than one percent of the people have, you know, been in combat. You should be proud of, like, but I didn't wasn't in combat for a good thing, so no, I should not be proud of that. Mm-hmm. So I, I stopped going. But um, like I said, the, the real reason I just wanted to let a lot of people didn't don't know that the vet centers exist. Yeah. I didn't know about it for years until my friend from the army. I was in the Marines. My friend from the army told me to go check it out. I finally did go check it out, and it, it is helpful. Um, so that's that's the important thing is like a lot of these guys don't even realize they need help. Yeah, and it's important to go seek it. It doesn't make you a pansy. It doesn't make you you know anything like that. It's just it's important because this kind of stuff will ruin your life. Richard, thanks for the call. Yeah, thanks a lot. Eight fifty five four fifty free. It's the Free Talk Live toll toll free call in line sponsored by Sickle CAI.
Liberty Maniacs is the largest online Liberty brand. Featured the most comprehensive selection of original posters, stickers, apparel, embroidered hats, and over 100 different products from around the world. From hilarious satire to hard-hitting artistic commentary, Liberty Maniacs is devoted to outfitting the Liberty movement with intelligent, eye-catching, and fashionable gear that expresses your personal dedication to Liberty. Best of all, Liberty Maniacs offers a no-hassle, money-back guarantee on all products. LibertyManiacs.com. Wear something worth saying. Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. It's a SACL toll-free call-in line, 855-450-FREE. Have you ever been the victim of an injustice and then decided to do nothing about it because attorneys are just too expensive? Jurisdictionary.com is a course for people who don't have attorneys. It arms you with the information on how to use the court's rules. Until you know these rules, you're fighting in the dark. It works for plaintiffs or defendants in civil or criminal matters in state or federal courts, actually courts around the world. Anybody who uses the English common law systems, that includes Canada, Australia, India, many others. It costs less than an hour with any good attorney in the four CD courses so easy the average eighth grader can learn it in, in a weekend. Visit Jurisdictionary.com. Download the free tools they have there for you, the free legal flowchart, free weekly tips and tactics newsletter. Use the free legal dictionary. Watch the free videos and buy the course. Jurisdictionary.com. Remember to use the pull-down menu when you check out just to let them know you heard it from Free Talk Live. Jurisdictionary.com. They actually have an affiliate uh, program there where you can earn money by telling your friends about a jurisdictionary. It's a, it's a great course. I have taken the course and actually listened to it a second time, and I highly recommend it. With if you've uh, got tickets or some kind of legal situation, you need to know this information. Jurisdictionary.com. Let's go to Crash Course. I don't know where Crash Course is calling from. Crash Course. It's like a superhero. I'm calling uh, for Anonymous. Okay. Um, there is right now a protest in San Francisco going on against the BART Transit Police. Yep. Mm. Um, might have heard. Uh, they made four arrests already for uh, peaceable, peaceful protesters being too noisy. Okay. And uh, I just kind of wanted to bring it up to, to your audience and, and hopefully... Uh, bring some light to it. Um, you can follow follow it on Twitter, Facebook. Just look up Op Bart and hopefully get some uh, information and see what's going on there. Because, there was uh, a story that we covered a while back where they shut off cell phone communications in order to stifle a protest at Bart, right? Yep. And, Recently. Um, part of Anonymous' showing up there was uh, due to that, as well as the original protest of the Bart police using excessive force and having... Uh, Basically, two killings that police have gone pretty well unpunished for. One of which was shooting an unarmed man in 2008, and then uh, more recently shooting somebody that um, was wielding a knife. But after they were unarmed and there was other options, they shot him to death. Hmm. So that's really what it came up from. And then the the, the censorship, the freedom of speech, and freedom to assemble thing kind of caught Anonymous's attention, and um, they're back out there again today. So how, how long has this protest been going on? Uh, now, not long. Okay. Uh, Fifteen minutes. No, I mean oh. over, over the course of weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the third one. 
Okay. So three, three, three weeks, maybe a month and a half. What's the, the um, what, you know, what's the sort of stated goal of the protest? Um, you know, are we going to uh, get out with signs and then get cops to act nicer? Is that the idea? Oh, of course not. Just kind of bring bring um, focus to it and make sure that people see that it's going on. I mean, yeah, you can't you can't just keep hiding it, and you can't let the you can't trust the police or the media to tell you what's going that on or true. to tell you truthfully. So That's for sure. if you show yeah. up in numbers, people will see you, and people will listen. These these, th- these are true statements. Yeah. I hadn't even heard about the knife uh, wielding instance. Um, you know, obviously, obviously, you shouldn't threaten people with knives. But once a person is disarmed, it seems to me that uh, you know, just well, they're what, already what exacting saying. punishment right there, right? When there's no trial has happened or anything, pe- the police are taking it upon themselves. That's to, what police do. Yeah. I mean, frankly, mm-hmm. they do it a lot um, when they keep people in jail that uh, are. You know, they haven't caused any harm or anything like that before they get a trial, and that trial is likely to be a year in the future. I mean, that's a year in jail. They call that punishment, but it, it's pre-trial confinement. Mm-hmm. Crash Course, thanks for the call. Yep. Good luck out there. Uh, Free Talk Live, 855-450-3733. Dale, uh, let's go on with a story where you're talking about... Uh, People, prison populations. Prison populations being it's, correlative to It's called crime. safety in numbers, and it's talking about prison population statistics. And, and then the, the particular cases that they're comparing here are New York State versus Indiana. Okay. And uh, it's saying that in the last decade, New York drastically reduced its prison population. At the same time, experienced a huge drop in crime. Indiana, on the other hand, drastically increased its prison population and consequently the burden of taxpayers, of course – while seeing a much smaller drop in crime than the national average. So uh, that's, it's good news, I guess. It sounds like the national average has has dropped, mm-hmm. uh, but not nearly as much in Indiana. And if you look at the comparison between the two, it's pretty dramatic. And, uh, you know, from two completely opposite approaches. So... Uh, I thought that I think that's pretty interesting. So why what um, what is the the claim? Why would lower prison populations? I mean, that seems counterintuitive. Why would lower prison populations result in uh, less crime? I mean, what's the is there is there some kind of speculation? I don't, in I don't this? know that there there. Well, let's see. It's well, it says that the, the I don't know that there is a lot of uh, speculation about exactly why that is. Um, it's possible. I you know there. I know I've heard discussions before that. People learn how to be better criminals in prison, and uh, that prison I'll, embitters people. I'll give my example here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, I went to – for those of you who listen to the show on a regular basis, you know that I spent eight years, six months, 21 days in prison for second-degree murder. For those that don't, that's the story. Um, I didn't kill anybody, but – you know, I ended up there and it's frankly, complicated it, around <laughs> in the United States. You don't have to kill anybody to go to prison for murder. Um, you can still be guilty just by being there. And I, you know, really, my crime was not properly testifying against my co-defendant it was telling lies. So the, um, the the fact is that when I went to prison, I um, was within a few months taught how to hotwire a car. Mm. I was in the auto mechanics course. They give you these little courses on how to learn to do things better. And, you know, there's 30 guys in this course and one teacher. And, you know, I mean, obviously you're learning about cars and ignitions and stuff like (laughs) that. And, you know, the guy's there teaching me how to hotwire a car. You take this wire, this wire, and, you know, you, you pull this off with a screwdriver. And this was obviously some time ago. It probably wouldn't work now. I've never Modern used Modern cars. This yeah. in real life. Um, I suspect that, <laughs> um, you know, as I understand, this was uh, on an older Ford, and that was the best vehicle to do this on or something mm-hmm. like that. But 
obviously the course hasn't really stuck with me. It was uh, it was 1989, so I mean the information is somewhat dated, but it doesn't change that that's not true. I also saw an instance where a fellow was uh, instructing some friends of his on how he would rob banks. There was uh, some steps, and um, you know he was just you know this is how you do it. You go in here, you do this, and so they were. You know, this- yeah, and imagine a lot of people are learning from other people's mistakes. Well, this is how I got caught, and this is why I'm in prison right now. And then they're thinking, hmm, I could do that and uh, avoid that same mistake and maybe not get caught this time, you know? So often, um, you know, I when I watch these prison movies, or excuse me, these uh, caper movies, I guess is what they're called, and um, at the end, you know, the, the bad guys begin to kill each other. Well, you know... Frankly, most people go to jail because somebody talked. Mm. And if there's nobody to talk besides you, then at least you have control over who talks. Mm. I'm not suggesting that people kill people. That, that seems saying. to be a recurring theme in movies. So we got to kill this guy because he might talk. He might turn us in, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe that's one of the things they learn. Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. Give us a call. Talk about this. Anything you'd like to talk about? Free Talk Live. The Ruger LC9, compact, powerful, and perfect for personal protection. The LC9 is only slightly larger than the popular Ruger LCP, features a checkered grip frame to provide a secure and comfortable grip, and includes a finger grip extension floor plate. The LC9 also has a dovetailed high-visibility three-dot sight system, blued alloy steel barrel, manual safety, and loaded chamber indicator. The LC9, another innovative American-made product from Ruger. Learn more about the Ruger LC9 at ruger.com LC9. Talk Live, 855-450-3733. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line. And uh, right now, we've got an interview on the line. We've got Stefan Molyneux from FreeDomainRadio.com. Stefan, are you there? I sure am. How you doing, man? All is well. Uh, you're here with uh, Mark. And Dale. And, um, you know, normally we don't do interviews on Free Talk Live, but I did ask you to call in because I heard something on LRN.FM, um, Liberty Radio Network, and you can find it at LRN.FM, is a, I guess, a podcast that you did, and it, it's called The Short Unhappy Lives of Fiat Currencies. And I thought that it was just so good and delivered so well that uh, I really wanted to talk to you about it because I felt like, even though there's probably some crossover between our listenership and yours, there's certainly quite a bit that that, um, that, that don't cross over, and I want to make sure people hear this stuff. Well, I, I appreciate that. I just really want to be clear. Uh, I, I pillaged this work, though I do think <laughs> it's really, really important. Uh, Same here. And, the, the basic idea behind it is, is fascinating, and it's something that I'd never seen presented in this concise way before. And uh, basically the idea is that the, people have done studies of, of fiat currencies throughout the world and throughout history and found that the average life expectancy for a fiat currency is 27 years, with the shortest lifespan being one, count them, one <laughs> month. And the only one so we're pushing it. Kind of, yeah, the only, the only one that's lasted any kind of time is the British pound sterling. Uh, it's 317 years old. However, in those three centuries, it's lost 99.5% of its value. And I think it's even worse than the U.S. dollars. And A pound is worth what a half a penny was when it was started? 
Yeah, so the British pound was originally defined as 12 ounces of silver. Now it's, le- it's worth less than one two hundredth of that. So, you know, to, to paraphrase Fight Club, on a long enough time frame, the survival rate of all fiat currencies drops to zero. And um, there's now, lots of examples of this. What's the next closest? Is I mean, you know, is, is the pound sterling the one fiat currency that's made it this long? I mean, the DOS dollar, do they do they count it from 1913? Do they count it from uh, 1970 or 69 or whatever? That yeah, I was, kind of, I was wondering that because I know there's, there's various stages that the dollar has gone through being separated further and further away from being backed by anything at all of value. Well, that's interesting, and there's two ways of measuring it. Of course, in the 19th century, there were lots of competing currencies. The U.S. flirted with the central bank and then ditched it and then flirted with it again. But uh, I think that you would most accurately characterize the American fiat currency system as uh, really being from 1971, okay. when, when Nixon decoupled the U.S. dollar from gold. I think that's when you would count the real, you know, airy-fairy, tied-to-nothing fantasy camp of paper yeah. money, that would be about 40 years. I tend to agree. That's what I was thinking, too, is that's when it really just stopped having any meaning <laughs> at all in terms of real uh, assets. Yeah, I mean, they messed around with it in the 30s, and they broke the convertibility and so on. But, um, yeah, it's it's really only 40 years. So the U.S. has, has lasted a long time, and, and I would really argue that's only because of the astounding growth in, in the productivity of certain sectors of the American economy is propped up the fiat currency, and uh, I mean, I think really around the computer industry and so on. Imagine how wealthy it would be if uh, if the computer industry gains had been allowed to accrue uh, to to the general population rather than being eaten up by inflation and and debt and government predation. And I mean, I think we'd all have at least double the income that we had uh, in, in the seventies, which would be significant. Right. You know, the, when the government actual meaningful income in terms of spending power is what you mean. I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, not uh, yeah, not not Zimbabwe income, but gold-based income. So, what is uh, what what is the second uh, closest uh, currency behind the, the the pound sterling? Is there anything that's even close to this thing in the, its two hundred years of uh, existence? Uh, you know, I, they don't mention that, but I I gotta think it would be. Um, I mean, certainly it's nothing in Europe because they've replaced all their currencies with the euro, which yeah. is now currently eating its eating itself very nicely. Uh, I can't think of <laughs> Just any about other ready currency. To go. Yeah, it's just about. So I think I think the U.S. is uh, is is second, and uh, you know when when you're second uh, and the U.S. dollar is doing what it's doing, uh, that is not a good race to be in. Well, I mean, it doesn't look like the dollar is going to get anywhere near to where the uh, the, the pound sterling is. Well, <laughs> has, and the uh, U.S. economy is committing suicide so right. aggressively. Uh, looking at it's the not actions the economy, they're taking, the well, right. <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, if you look at the actions they're taking, they're so dramatic, and so the 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 mistakes they're making are are of exponential proportions to the past. And so people who are looking to the past to try and predict the future, I don't think it's relevant. Things have changed so much. I mean, you know, they, they, they try to look at these trends in the economy to predict what's going to happen in the future. Like, but for instance, the, what happened in 71 and what changed the currency to pure fiat is, is, is like, as you're pointing out, is significant. And, and you can't just look at the past and assume the future is going to keep behaving the same way. Right, so let's, so let's play a little game here. Uh, maybe your listeners can chime in and we can uh, maybe play some bets with some paper currency, right? So this is, they did a study of 775 fiat currencies, and isn't that a depressing number? Of That's a lot currencies. of fiat currencies. It's a, yeah, well, they're all three times the number now, of nations. Think, um, yeah. 
And so 20% of them failed through hyperinflation, 21% were destroyed by war, 12% destroyed by independence, and 24% were monetarily reformed, and 23% are still in circulation, approaching one of the other outcomes. We've got hyperinflation, war, independence, or you know, a reform where they just rejig all the numbers, they slash off a couple of zeros, they issue new currency, and they just start the whole thing all over again. Where do you think uh, U.S. dollars are going to end up? I, um, I I would love to hear your opinion on it, but if you're asking mine, I'm going to say reformed. I, I, I think that they're going to probably trot out the new improved dollar or the Amero or whatever term they're going to use. I think for- it's going to be attempted, certainly. I don't know. It's hard to p- imagine what will result. Well, they'll probably tie it to something early on and then untie it at that point. Stefan, you got an idea? Well, I tell you, the, the reform is uh, is pretty tricky. Because uh, it's one thing to reform your currency when you're not enmeshed in the world currency, of course, as America is. And also, it's not so difficult to reform your currency when you don't owe the world, say, three generations of your offspring. And so I think that's a real challenge. I mean, if they try to reform the U.S. currency, in other words, if they cancel the U.S. dollar and issue the dollar version 2.0, what is going to happen to all of the existing debt that's owed to people? Um, I don't think that they're going to be all too happy. And right. uh, so well, I think I just, that would be pretty tricky. I think what they'd probably do, I mean, if, if I was if, if I was evil <laughs> and I was in charge of printing money, <laughs> but I but I repeat myself, um, they I, I would probably print all the dollars, pay everybody off and then bring out the dollar uh, 2.0 and start all over with a clean slate and a bunch of mad people but but you can't uh, you can't what is the u.s debt is now 90 percent of gdp or some monstrous mediterranean style number right it's it's awful you can't just can't you mean you're going to have to what they could do i guess is they could print money and pay off as much debt as they could and then before the hyperinflation hits they could pull the rug out and start again but i think i think that the reason that's not happening in the western countries is that trick is is so old and tired old that yeah, I think everyone's aware of it, and I think that people would know pretty quickly. Uh, of course, the U.S. has, what, doubled the production of monies in the last couple of years, So, and they're looking That's... at QE3, uh, which sounds like a fun cruise, but it really has just fallen <laughs> off the edge of the world economically. So I don't, I don't think – I mean, I think they're really low uh, on options at the moment. It's, it's the equivalent of just saying, and they may as well, if they're going to do that, of just saying to these other countries, we're just not going to pay you back. Yeah. We're, just never mind. We're just, we're just not going to. What are you going to do about it? Printing out a shipload of dollars and sending it over to China on the same day that you trot out the new uh, currency is the equivalent of saying, hey – Go screw yourself. And if they're, you know, they may very well get themselves a war of uh, of aggression or retaliation out of uh, something like that. Oh, I can't. I mean, I, the U.S. has got such a ridiculously overgrown military and such massive capacity. I mean, the only way that you can take on the U.S. military is this insurgent style. I mean, nobody can face them head on. So I don't think there's going to be any government-to-government wars involving the U.S. Uh, but uh, I think that there is going to – I mean, in my opinion, I think the U.S. is going to turn on its own population before it's going to turn on its on its creditors. Um, Further turn on its own population. Well, I think the ruling class. The, the, you have to wonder. The, the, I always try to think of economy by taking out the money of it. It sounds odd, but money can be a distraction when the money doesn't really mean anything. The, the money just seems to follow the resources in a way. And so I, I kind of wonder if the, um, if America can maintain the military the way it is with fake money. Stefan, can you hold the line um, here for uh, one more segment, and then we'll uh, we'll get back to calls. It's Free Talk Live. 855-450-3733 if you've got any calls for Stefan Molyneux. Free Talk Live. 
Do you want to take back control of your own money? Then take a look at Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the world's first decentralized, anonymous internet currency, and it's gaining popularity every day. It's free to use, free to accept, and free from inflation forever. You can use Bitcoins anywhere in the world. To learn more, visit weusecoins.org. Your dollars are going down. Learn more about Bitcoins at weusecoins.org. That's weusecoins.org. Talk Live, 855-450-3733. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line. SACL CAI is a company that handles accounts receivable, whether it's collections, early out billing, or you need your receivables purchased, they'll, they'll, they'll buy them. SACL's employees are trained in resolving issues for your customers and treating them with respect. They know that not only do you want to collect your money, but you want to keep your clients too. It's SACL CAI. You can see their banner at freetalklive.com. It's the top one on the right-hand side of the page. We are on with Stefan Molyneux of freedomainradio.com, which is, Stefan, like an incredibly listened-to podcast. There's some superlative uh, that surrounds it, something like the uh, the most listened-to philosophical conversation on the Internet. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, the, the technical phrase is somewhere around the world, I'm always talking. I never <laughs> shut up. In fact, I barely even take a breath. And I think that's the technical way of putting it. Yeah, it's, it's the mm. biggest philosophy show. I mean, it was, uh, I was uh, voted one of the top 10 in alternate media. Hopefully that doesn't mean alternate to truth and value. And um, yeah, like 30, 35 million downloads over the years. And we're, we're chugging along. 30, 35 million? I thought it was 25 million. I'm sorry. Ah, uh, if you can count if you count YouTube, I think I just topped seven or eight million YouTube views. Wow. So if you sort of count YouTube plus podcasts, it's uh, it's a lot. That's a lot, a lot of views. It sure is a lot of views. Well, it's good news for the message. I, sh- I am sure glad the message is getting out there. And the message, well, but you have to remember that. Sorry, you have to remember that I also have uh, about thirty-five million podcasts. So it's really only one listen per podcast. <laughs> because I'm all there's just one really hardcore fan it. out there. <laughs> That's right. One guy, it's, it's my mom, who just listens and, and really, really helps boost my numbers. <laughs> we were talking about fiat currencies and their, their short, ignoble lives um, that uh, in here. And you'd suggested there were a few different options, and many of them um, were, we've sort of discounted, which is uh, you think that, um, uh, that, that re- replacing the dollar with something else is going to be tricky and difficult. And frankly, I don't know how they would go about doing it, although pe- the the banker types have probably done this in the past. It seems like the, at the very least, the second most likely thing to happen. There's revolution. That doesn't mm-hmm. seem likely here in America, frankly. Um, well, you know, and war, us. and that doesn't seem likely. And I was just thinking the, the other option is hyperinflation. Is that what you're putting your money on? Uh, I don't think hyperinflation is, is going to work. Uh, I, I really don't. Uh, I, I th- my, my guess as to what's going to happen, and obviously this is just a guess, but my guess is what's going to happen is when you look at people in power and how they're going to solve problems, always look to those they have the most power over, and, and those are the ones who are going to get messed up. And so in, in America... There have been a lot of rumblings in the political classes about the dependent classes. What was there with some guy high up in the Republican Party talking about, you know, uh, tens or hundreds of millions of dependents on the, on the U.S. government. They're all getting kind of tired of that up at the top. 
And so I think you're going to start hearing a lot of talk of sacrifice and, and a war on dependence and, and all that kind of stuff, mm. uh, the declaration of independence from dependence or something like that. Aren't the politicians think, completely dependent on the government? Well, yeah, but, uh, but they uh, – actually, I would say the politicians are more dependent upon the creditors around the world. <laughs> they, they, you know, so they, they sell off the, the unborn to, to get money in the here and now to bribe voters in return for votes, and that's – scam is, is coming to an end. So I think they're going to continue to pay off the creditors because if the creditors pull the rug, uh, the whole thing's going to come down like a house of cards. So they're going to continue to pay off the creditors, but what they're going to do is start to put the squeeze on the dependent classes, on Social Security, on Medicare, Medicaid, welfare, uh, even the public sector unions, uh, which have massive unfunded liabilities in their pension schemes. They're really going to start turning the screws on those guys, and they're going to create some sort of patriotic fervor uh, called uh, let's let's outgrow dependence on the state let's stand up let's 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 be strong together and all that and i think that's the scam that they're going to try and pull because that's the people they have the most power over and, and what are people fundamentally going to say to the state that they're dependent on if they start getting cutbacks um, it's you know it's they just they can't do much they're so going to wail the going to get the short end. and complain they will wail. But, the, yeah. but they're not going to be able to do anything because they've they've depended on this un, you know undependable organization and i think that uh, that makes perfectly good sense but you're not predicting that the government will actually shrink right well, no, I think government expenditures are going to have to shrink. I mean, government expenditures on the domestic population are going to have to shrink because they owe more and more to creditors. So but will they grow? They're going to take money away from the gen pop and send it off to the creditors. I and uh, I, th- I think at some point they're going to have to pull back. I mean, they're going to, you know, at some okay. point, uh, you know, even the heroin addict who's 20 years into the gig at some point looks at all the tracks and marks on his arms and looks at, I don't know, the dead hooker at the foot of his bed and says, man, you know, maybe I better change something here. And I think, I think we're getting pretty close to that as a, as a culture i mean both in europe and in north america it's hard to look at a dead hooker as a good thing but i i I, you know at the very least like to see a a a, um, a reduction in um the amount of 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 spending that what what are your thoughts uh stefan about the the idea of our military as big as it is and as unstoppable as it is at the moment uh maintaining that with this monopoly money that yeah, well, that that can't happen. I mean, there's there's no question that the I mean, the, the death of the empire has already occurred, right? I mm-hmm. mean, uh, the the goal of of the enemies of of America was to get it to spend itself into oblivion uh, through through pointless uh, wars of attrition in foreign countries with huge supply lines and the general exhaustion of the of the personnel, and that has all been magnificently and perfectly achieved. I mean, talk about a war on terror. I mean, how about not? doing everything that the terrorists actually want. That, to me, would be a real victory of a war on terror. But no, they have to wind it down. It's the same thing that happened to England after the Second World War, when its economy was in complete shambles, and it didn't, it spent all of its gold in, in World War One and World War II. Uh, they just, they wind down the empire, and they come home. That's what happened to Europe after Europe destroyed itself through war, and it's going to happen to the American empire now that America has destroyed itself through, uh, through spending and through war. Uh, so yeah, they're going to wind all this stuff down, bring the troops home. And then, of course, there's all these problems of getting these shell shock victims to readjust to civilian life. But uh, yeah, there's no question this is going to be a, a big boon for liberty in the world. 
Now, um, you know, you were talking about politicians selling the uh, the third generation, you know, not my children, not my grandchildren, but my great grandchildren. And you have done, a, you know, some podcasts on this uh, idea that sort of the citizens are livestock for the government. And I think that this is, is just absolutely true. These people believe they own your labor. If they didn't believe they own your labor, then they wouldn't be able to tax you upon it. Right. Yeah, it's more than a belief. I mean, they do. I mean, what what do they not own, right? I mean, if, if you don't pay your property tax, you very quickly will find out who owns your house. Right. Uh, if you don't pay your gasoline tax, you will very quickly find out who owns your car. Uh, if you don't pay your income tax, you will very quickly find out who owns you. Uh, and, uh, of course, once you own something, it's an asset, and you can sell off the future earnings of that, the future value of that. And, you know, it's amazing. I was reading this thing the other day, uh, a minor tangent, I promise, and very brief. But uh, somebody was getting real mad in the media about the fact that if you have some terminal illness, some, someone will give you, you know, some percentage value of your life insurance so that you can go and blow a lot of money and have a lot of fun before you die. And someone said, oh, that's so predatory, that's morbid, that's terrible, and so on. Well, first of all, that's a free transaction, and I would rather have the money before I'm dead because what <laughs> is it going to do me afterwards? And secondly, I mean, if you're really, really upset, um, you know, what about all the, the kids who are being sold off uh, down to three or four generations from now? I mean, where's people's outrage about that? I mean, if we love our children enough, the world will become free, and we have to get outraged about national debts. We have to get outraged about the terrible quality, the, the ridiculously bad quality of government education. We have to get outraged about the fact that taxes are so high that very few parents can stay home with their children. They, they yeah. ship them off to, to government-run daycares where they're raised by strangers and badly. So until <laughs> we get really mad about this stuff, it's just going to get worse. And I'm, I'm always quick to point out that, you know, someone will say, well, if they're taking 40% of your income, they own, they own 40% of you. I'm like, no, no, they own 100% of you. Right. They're allowing you to keep that 60% right now. Well, they could change it at any time because they own all of it. Another aspect of this is is that, you know, any time that slaves are owned, and I'm not t- talking about just chattel slavery in the United States, but you had to care for them, you had to clothe them, you had to house them, you had to do all kinds of things in order to care for this person. So you never got, at no point was 100% of the person truly owned because the person had to care, the, the master had to care for the slave. So, you know, it might have been 90% And of that's their, how they do it now. Labor. They let us keep something so that we can eat and buy a little right. bit of stuff and, and that we'll keep working hard. <laughs> more productive than they, we would be if we were, in fact, working to give money directly to the government because we're, you know, we have the perception of being able to keep some of it. Well, and also, uh, I call it free-range slavery, right? So we're allowed to choose our own occupations, which gives us enthusiasm for our careers, which makes us work that much harder. The freedoms that we're granted are not granted out of any fundamental principle, like we should be free. They're granted because they found out that if you give the livestock a little more room, they produce 10 times as many eggs. It's really for the eggs. It's got nothing to do with wanting to set the chickens free. (laughs) <laughs> it's, right. it's true. You know, they've, they've found that certain livestock, if you keep it in too small of an area, will um, become unhealthy and die. And this is just really, you know, humans need freedom. They, they yearn for it and they struggle for it. And, you know, those, those that believe they own us act that way. I'm Stephon, a cow, not a chicken. Uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks very much for the interview. It's uh, freedomainradio.com.
Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line, 855-450-FREE. Been uh, all over the, the map tonight. Uh, you can go get the podcast and actually podcasts from uh, up to five years back at freetalklive.com. They're available to you for free. Let's go on to, you know, there's some strange things happening in Texas around sort of uh, school punishment. They have been charging kids like a lot more than every other state with crimes in the classroom. Crimes for like doing normal kid school stuff, like writing on desks and things like this. They're now handling it in courtrooms. Here's another story on it. This one from the Washington Post. Spring, Texas. In a small courtroom north of Houston, a fourth grader walked up to a bench with his mother. Too short to see the judge, he stood on a stool. He was dressed in a polo shirt and dark slacks in a sweltering summer morning. Guilty, the boy's mother heard him say. He'd been part of a scuffle on a school bus. In another generation, he might have received only a scolding from the principal or a period of detention, but an array of get-tough policies in U.S. schools in the past two decades has brought many students into contact with police and courts. Part of a trend some experts call criminalization of student discipline. Now, such practices are under scrutiny nationally. Federal officials want to limit punishments that push students from the classroom to a courtroom, and a growing number of state and local leaders are raising similar concerns. In Texas, the specter of harsh discipline has been especially clear. Here, police issue tickets, Class C misdemeanor citations for offensive language, class disruption, schoolyard fights, thousands of students land in court with fines up to $500. And what does this $500 do to prevent a child from using bad language or disrupting a class or, you know, schoolyard fights? I guess it, you know, the claim is, is that the parents will, you know, beat $500 out of the kid or, you know, discipline $500 out of that child or something. That, I, I, I guess that's what they're hoping it will do. Um, I mean, it's strange to me. Students with outstanding tickets may be arrested after age 17. Good grief. So um, they have till age 17 to the, for the parents to pay it off. Otherwise, their kid's going to be arrested, I guess. So so pretty much the idea of not prosecuting minors like adults is that's just out the window because that's what's happening. So we're just going to forego um, punishing you as if you're an adult. When, and once you become an adult, but meanwhile, you did something as a child when presumably you, you don't have the full cognizance of the repercussions and what that means. And it's, it's strange. I mean, I, I'm, I'm dumbfounded by this. You would think that they would, you know, I've I guess I've I've heard of kids. Uh, you know, the idea is, is that the sins of the father yeah. is what's going on here. Like, it's being passed up a generation. <laughs> Uh, if kids, uh, you know, do crimes that are kid-like, they should be charged as juvenile or whatever. And I think that there's some problems with the way the juvenile justice system has been operated up to this point. But this is just a whole new step out in the, the wrong direction to me. Well, it's like the punishment is on the parents. Like, they're supposed to pay a fine. And if they don't, then the kid gets arrested later on. Yes. I mean, obviously for something the kid did. But, the, again, the kid did it as a child. And they only do it in public schools. This isn't happening in private schools, as I understand it. So, you know, it's another reason not to have your kid in a public school because you might get a $500 fine. Uh, yeah, there's a, long, there's a long enough. I still consider public schools a form of child abuse. 
well, if you, letting your kids kids go to public schools, I mean, I, I think that if you haven't had any problems with the public school, but I, you know, I would I would never send my kid to a public school. Hmm. I think that that's a, a strong statement. Let's go to Conrad in Fargo. Conrad, hey Mark, how's it going? All's well. What'd you call about? Um, there's a dog in my yard. Uh huh. And uh, he's growling and scary. Can I shoot him? Um, is he your dog? You're asking you know, us for permission dog. to shoot a dog. You is, know, I hear cops are doing that all the time. It's it's uh, uh, the new fad, and I can totally get away with it too. They, right? they usually shoot. They usually shoot land. a dog. I've seen it on video. They usually shoot a dog that's running up to them. Uh, uh, wagging its tail, uh, wanting to be petted, not even growling at them, but just running up to them because, oh, there's a person that might pet me. And yeah, they don't know. They so don't I see should, badges. I, I should be fine if he's growling. I can just shoot away, right? Well, I would say that the best uh, b- bad, if you want my advice, is uh, just keep the door closed. Uh, the dog will go away. But um, I, 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 I do get the the parallel that you're uh, you're drawing here, which is that uh, you know, well, if cops can shoot people people's dogs, I mean, if this dog is actually, if if some neighbor's dog is in your yard and you've talked to them on multiple occasions about their dog coming over, I do think, and you know, maybe he's destroying property, killing chickens and things like that. I think there might be an argument for uh, you know doing something to deter the dog. I think that shooting somebody's dog is probably the last thing you want to do, but I understand, you know, why some people choose to do it. So, um, did you have anything more on this, Conrad? No, I think that's about it. Thanks. Appreciate it. Don't shoot the doggy. Poor dog. (laughs) I don't think it really is a dog in the yard. But, you know, I, you know, I, I, some people have problems with dogs. You know, I mean, we used to, we used to have chickens at my farm when I was growing up. And sometimes the neighbor's dogs would come over there and kill chickens. Mm. What do you do about that? That would be awfully frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if you've got a neighbor who perhaps doesn't care, you know, some people believe that animals, their animals should be able to run free. <laughs> and this is true if you want your animals to be treated like animals that are wild. Right. Wild pests are shot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as long if you don't have any bad feelings about that, your your dog being shot, then I suppose that uh, that's OK. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you're, you're well, making it really yeah, difficult. T- take care neighbor. of your pets so that someone else doesn't. Right. <laughs> That's, that's the way to think of it. Let's go on with the story out of uh, Texas here. Texas also stands alone for opening up millions of student records to a landmark study of discipline released in July. The study shows that six in ten students were suspended or expelled at least once from seventh grade on. I would have called that tremendous. I would have would not have expected one in ten students to be suspended or expelled. In that what, time what was frame. the number again? Six in ten students, more than half, sixty percent of students are expelled or suspended from seventh grade on. That's insanity. That's what it sounds like. This is this is Arpaio's neighborhood, isn't no, it? No, no, Arpaio's no? in Arizona. Oh, okay. I'm I'm I was close. This is a <laughs> similar sort of uh, nutty, uh, yeah. you know, police state crap that you think you can solve problems by, uh, you know, you know Just force, keep cranking and force down, and force, yeah. After the first suspension, there were nearly three times more likely to be involved in the juvenile justice system the next year compared with students with no such disciplinary referrals. I mean, this is like a prison. <laughs> Citing they're, the- they're, they're not very different. A public school and a prison, other than what it takes to get into one. There's not a lot of difference between C- citing the Texas Research Federal officials announced last month on an initiative to break what many call the school to prison pipeline suspensions, expulsions and arrests are 
used too often to enforce school order, officials said. That's something that clearly has to stop, U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder said in Washington alongside the Education Secretary Arne Duncan. This month, Duncan recounted that in his old job as Chicago school's chief, he was stunned to learn that so many arrests occurred in schools. The first response to student misbehavior, he said, can't be to pick up the phone and call 911. The federal focus comes amid another change. In Colorado, a legislative task force is examining discipline practice, including law enforcement referrals and school ticketing. Los Angeles police recently agreed to cut back on ticketing tardy students en route to school. They're giving tickets for being tardy. What we had to do was like sit in some kind of timeout situation or something. If we were Well, I'm late. picturing detention or something if you're yeah, late a lot. It was a deterrent. Keep being late or something. Connecticut officials have begun screening cases after students wound up in court on violations such as for having soda, running in the hall, and dressing improperly. <laughs> um, it's This is just crazy. Round up in court for having a soda, running in the hall, or dressing improperly. I got sent to the principal's office for wearing shorts that were too short on shorts day. I, I did, too. Um, there was I a, didn't go. I just went on to my next class. And oh, nothing, ever, nothing ever happened. Well, they had uh, rules as to where, <laughs> where shorts could land on you mm. uh, when I was in school. And, you know, apparently the shorts I was wear- wearing were, you know, they were, they're above the knee and they should have, had to have been below the knee or something like that. Uh, it, it's nuts. You <laughs> <laughs> can't be showing knee to the ladies, Mark. You get them all <laughs> hot and bothered. Yeah, it was many long years ago. 603, oh, excuse me, 855-450-FREE, Free Talk Live. As a smoker, you know traditional cigarettes are unhealthy, and the taxes be the very beast stealing your freedom to smoke. That's why the Vapor Station offers an assortment of electronic cigarette kits. Each rechargeable, refillable kit is an effective, affordable alternative to smoking. No combustion, no tar, no foul, lingering odors, and no smoke, secondhand or otherwise. Just inhale pure enjoyment and exhale vapor. Take a puff just about anywhere without getting hassled. Get your e-cigarette kit now at VaporStation.com. Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line, 855-450-FREE. Are the poor getting poor? People often say that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poor. Economics professor Steve Horwitz explains why in the United States this character- characterization is largely a myth. Real income levels of the poorest 20% of Americans have actually risen over time. Go check out this video and many more at learnliberty.org slash FTL. These videos are great with uh, for explaining the foundations of uh, economic liberty, uh, freedom in all areas. You can share them on your Facebook, show them to your friends. It's, uh, they're really great little tools. Learnliberty.org slash FTL. While you're there, check out the Liberty Academy link on the right. It's a course for people who want free, online, continuing education in economics, philosophy, liberty, and rights. Learnliberty.org slash FTL. FTL, talking about this uh, situation in Texas regarding their uh, schools and uh, the way they're doing discipline. Let's go to Daryl in Texas. Daryl? Hey, I, I actually wanted to talk about that study that you 
brought up earlier. Okay. About, uh, low ah, crime rate. Gotcha. And low prison population. Yes. I, I think they're actually looking at the information backwards, trying okay. to put sort of the chicken before the egg. Okay. And instead of saying that, oh, wow, crime rates are low when prison population is low, it should be prison population is low is low because you're not arresting as many people throwing them in cages i suppose that makes a certain amount of sense they didn't uh, they didn't actually uh, you know make any statements positive statements about the information they just uh, gave it out and you know i'm just uh, i'm kind of wondering it seems to me that prison is often overused um, in this country they'll they'll throw people in who've never hurt anybody um, uh, of course because what is it a uh, quarter of the entire prison population in the entire world is in the U.S.? That's, as I understand, it's some in- incredible number. Like one out of every four prisoners in the entire world is in a U.S. prison. <laughs> right. I mean, if, if you don't count uh, places like North Korea as prisons, yes, I suspe- suspect that's, uh, that, that is a true statement. Um, yeah, so I, I just think that they're sort of looking at it backwards. And, so why do, you you think, pr- why do you think that crime has diminished in um, New York then, the state of New York? Because they were comparing, uh, well, they, they would like to say because they've gotten tough on crime. But if they were gotten I tough on crime, more people are in jail. Criminals have actually left. <laughs> the criminals, well, the criminals would be the last no, ones to no, leave the tax. No, they, they don't have to pay the tax rate. <laughs> right. But you know, let, let let me just uh, you know throw out this scenario. Say that you know in one jurisdiction, if you steal a car, you're going to do five years in prison. And lose voting rights for the rest of your life. Okay. Or in another place, you only get six months in prison. Well, Where would you rather steal a car? Uh, you know, this this makes perfectly good sense to rational people like you and I. <laughs> but there are states that are right next door to each other that have different laws on uh, the, the death penalty. One would assume that people would, you know, drag your wife across the border and shoot her over there rather than doing it in their state. But the fact is that the, the crime rates tend to be pretty similar Um you know, if they don't seem to. The studies don't. They, they don't seem to be impacted by the threats. Criminals that are don't there. think they're going to get caught, and this is, uh, you know, it's yeah. it's a it's a crappy way to think about things. They're they're not thinking rationally, but they really don't believe they're going to get caught. If they did, they wouldn't go to jail for six months because, frankly, it's not worth it. Right. Well, so. I, I think part of it also has to do with the fact that cops are out harassing children with lemonade stands instead of going after the real criminals. Indeed, if you had uh, all those cops that, uh, that, that the United States people pay for um, out looking, trying to, to solve crimes, you might have fewer, you know, real crimes. I mean, you know, play things where people have hurt, their property has been damaged or stolen or something like that, then you might have less crime. It's hard to say, but instead they seem to be out harassing people over, you know, lemonade stands and rolling through stop signs and, uh, you know, all these things. Daryl, appreciate the call. Give us a call again sometime. Let's go to Shadow in Huntsville. Shadow. Yeah, I like the dog park right there. Of course, I, I know he's just joking like you guys did. Of course, of course, one thing you could do instead of shooting the dog, you just throw him a steak lease with a hot sauce, and that'll take care of it. <laughs> little hot sauce. Uh, little you know, my, my dog's gotten good at consuming hot sauce. Uh, you know, we, we put down the uh, we put down the bowls for her to uh, to clean up, and she's very good about it. And uh, you'd be surprised; she's very diligent on those bowls. And Sure enough, you know, even when I have my faux soup that I hope put a whole bunch of rooster sauce in, she'll clean that thing up too. 
Anyway, what I wanted to call about was this afternoon, a little bit before five, my time, I saw something I thought I'd never see in my life. This was the cop chasing a five-year-old kid. And, in fact, I had to get with my neighbor on my porch right here because she saw it, too. And what it was, something about the mother and the child was crossing the street. The cops come through my neighborhood a lot. Well, the kid got scared about this cop, so he took off running toward home. So the cop goes, kid goes up on this wall, man, jumps it across the iron railing there, takes off, and then the cop comes up there and do that stuff, just like you see something in a movie. He hurdles the wall? Home, the, the suspect uh, was acting suspiciously, so I uh, engaged yeah, and pursued. Kid, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so anyway, when he gets home, though, I'll tell you what, that cop got surrounded instantly for about over 20 people. And I happen to know that house, that apartment complex over there, there is guns big time over there. And that cop, man, he suddenly got romper room, good doobie type behavior. And this other cop pulled in, and when he seen that uh, what was going down, he backed out and took off. Now, here it is after 8 o'clock my time, and I ain't seen a cop in this neighborhood since, man. And let me tell you something. My neighborhood, the HUD neighborhood, there's firepower here like you wouldn't believe. I've heard MAC-10s. I've heard Uzis and everything else going on in there. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. And after 1, one o'clock or so at night, you won't see one cop coming through this neighborhood at all, man. I've heard of neighborhoods where police don't go, and I really, you know, I question this. I mean, what if, if mm-hmm. we are paying for law enforcement to keep us safe, shouldn't they be going into these neighborhoods where they're scared to go? I mean, that's they, what gets me is people will insist the reason why we have to have cops is because poor people can't afford security, and poor people aren't getting security with cops. They don't want to go into poor neighborhoods. And when they do, they're just arresting people, uh, you know, out of the yeah. Gate. They're 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 absolutely victimizing the and poor people. Entrepreneurs. There. Well, we got neighborhood watch right here, and like I said, we got enough firepower in this neighborhood right here. We don't need the cops. We can take care of things ourselves. I, I I I'm glad to hear it, Shadow. Thank you. Thank you for the All call. Right. Uh, give us a call at eight five five four five zero three seven three three. And I do think, to some extent, a large extent, that what keeps people's homes and property safe is the threat of somebody inside with a gun. When you see a property that's abandoned, it's so much more likely to be vandalized, burglarized, and things like that because, well, you know, there's no, there's no chance of somebody coming home or somebody being there or anything like that. Mm-hmm. When, um, or some weapon, if not a gun. I mean, even, even in places where well, it may not be a gun, they, they may come at you seven with a baseball times, bat or something. Dogs, dogs are seven times as effective, actually, as, uh, as um, guns are. So... <laughs> in deterring, um, deterring crime. And actually, I think a, a house an with a dog hat. is seven times less likely to be burglarized than a house without. And this is all kinds of dogs. Chihuahuas, Golden Retrievers, Great Danes, Rottweilers. I think, the, I think the burglar just doesn't want to deal with them. With dogs? Yeah. Well, they, they make noise. They hear them and they're like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. But who would? Yeah. Free Talk Live. founder of Crossbreed Holsters. Are you looking for a concealed carry holster? Crossbreed Holsters is the home of the world-famous Super Tuck, the most comfortable concealed carry holster on the market today. Try one out and see how truly discreet and comfortable carrying concealed can be. And find out why we call it the ugliest holster you'll ever love. We are the standard others try to imitate. Get the original. Get your Super Tuck at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Again, that's CrossbreedHolsters.com.
Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE, the SACL toll-free call-in line, 855-450-3733. Dale, tell me about shop.freetalklive.com. A really easy way to support Free Talk Live is to go to shop.freetalklive.com, buy things at Amazon. You can get just about anything you need. The store just keeps broadening its uh, options all the time. Amazon and has perc- just about everything. Yeah, a percentage of each sale goes to support Free Talk Live. doesn't cost you any more to do. But it uh, makes money for Free Talk Live. Indeed it does. Shop.freetalklive.com. Are you tired of watching the value of the dollar plummet? Are you tired of banks charging you fees? Do you want to take back control of your own money? Take a look at Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the world's first decentralized anonymous internet currency. It's gaining popularity every day. It's free to use, free to accept, and free from inflation forever. You can use Bitcoins anywhere in the world. And their value has been trending upward. I've been uh, keeping an eye on it. They had some. They've had some ups and downs. It's like a commodity. A commodity anywhere. We use coins.org. You you owe it to yourself to go watch this video. We use coins.org. Let's go to Nick in Illinois. Nick. Hi. The other day, my brother and I talked about how life is so expensive now because I have observed how he works really hard. He works five days a week. 10 or 12 hours a day and sometimes more at home working for a small company at a high-level, well-paying position, and yet he can't afford a suitable house for his family. He has to live with us because he can't sell his old one-room condo, in a, and so he's living in a, a nine-person, four-generation household. Mm. So I brought up uh, the Austrian theory about inflation and currency debasement, and I once saw a video on Mises.org uh, where uh, where it explained that people have to work harder now for the same standard of living due to currency debasement, but I'm not sure that that's enough to explain it uh, why why people have to work so much harder to stay afloat. I mean, there's also like the rise in medical costs due to like the insurance cartel system, but it, as I understand it, it used to be that a father could support an entire family with a factory job and an eight-hour workday, and now both parents have to work. So like we're what other factors are involved there? Like, were taxes lower back then or what? I'd say to some extent you're talking about uh, luxury items in some ways. Ta- uh, you know, I, I don't know the taxes. Mm. Uh, you know, food is, it, I, don't, I think food has gotten more and more expensive. And there's a lot of things where subsidies and benefits to some, you know, to, to, to different farm companies, large, large farm companies, mm-hmm. not the family farm that people are thinking of. Uh, there's all sorts of you know regulations have made things more expensive certainly drugs are more expensive because of regulations and the FDA and uh there's there, there there are a lot of things because of government interference that have been made more expensive without a doubt and there's reduced yeah, competition I, I, in the industry that has that, that helped a lot yeah i did mention things like regulatory burdens and uh, apparently the company he's working for is interfacing with the FDA so he's seeing some of those weird and expensive regulations firsthand. Mm-hmm. Well, the government keeps on growing, and it requires money to operate, and that money is coming from somewhere. Usually, they 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 aren't you know getting their money all from one place because then people would rise up and say, "Heck no, this is crazy!" So they put pinpricks all over the place, and they they fill their buckets in in that fashion. And it seems like it's just getting bigger and bigger all the time. There's more people working there doing well, whatever it is they do taking away your water bottles at the airport and stuff and yet the government is still spending more than it's taking in even though it's taking in more and more yes so it's kind of amazing that it's not even worse than it is indeed well i mean it's at some point it's going to spend itself into insolvency as is the way i can see it do you do you have any solutions here uh nick or are you just calling in to sort of ask uh, 
what we think. Oh, no, I was just kind of wondering out loud because I, I didn't really have any conclusive answers other than the usual stuff that gets brought up because there seems to be sort of like, um, sort of um, like you mentioned earlier, uh, learnliberty.org slash FTL, yep. where there's a video about how the rich are getting richer, but the poor are getting richer too. Well, how can the poor be getting richer too if the cost of living is going up and now it takes two incomes to support a household where it used to be one? And yet... Well- it, it, the numbers they take there from the 80s, and I suspect the women in the workplace haven't really changed from the 80s to uh, to current day. Um, so, I mean, they're they're trying to compare apples and apples on that particular video. But I, you know, if I have some skepticism about that, because I, I, I know there's so much crony capitalism and so many things that are, you know, it's um, the I, I think it's the idea is wonderful. I do believe that uh, a free market will make everyone wealthier, including the poor, uh, probably especially the poor. Uh, but I think that uh, you know, but it, but what a free market would undermine is the super wealthy right now who make who make their incredible wealth with the help of violence from the government. They do that. Nick, I appreciate the call. Let's go to Frank in New York. Frank. Uh, good evening. Good evening, Frank. Good evening. Yes, I just wanted to comment on uh, the foreign exchange students at the Hershey. Uh, Pennsylvania factory that walked out over economic abuse and uh, various conditions. And it's interesting because it demonstrates how impotent our labor unions have become over the last 45 years. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's interesting that we have to take a lesson in humane treatment from, you know, the foreign exchange students that pay thousands of dollars to come to the United States to work in a corporation that doesn't offer them you know, uh, any more than $8.20 an hour. Uh, and out of that, they have to pay for, I guess, uh, on-plant uh, housing and food and all sorts of things. So it really shows how exploitive, you know, the corporations have been. And we see this... Do we have on-plant housing in the United States? I mean, I, I'm not familiar with this. Well, you should, you should check it out. Google foreign exchange students at Pennsylvania Hershey Factory walk out over abuse by okay. Naomi Spencer. All right. And that was uh, written uh, today, actually. Okay. So it's, it's a very interesting story, but it also demonstrates uh, what the last caller was talking about. You know, there was a time from, I guess, the uh, post-war period... Uh, post-Second World War, that is, through about 1975, where one person could work uh, and support a family, put money aside for retirement, go on a vacation, maybe even you know purchase a little vacation home or a hunting camp or something. This was very common in this country. Well, and well, also, One of the problems there, though, Frank, is that at post-World War II is a lot of the places that had produced stuff up to that point were laid waste in smoking rubble, and the United States had this real advantage since no war had been fought. Oh, I know that. The- I know that. In fact, I'm going to let you in on something that before the Marshall Plan was finally adopted – uh, the president uh, gave the industrialists the chance to either the U.S. government buy them brand new equipment, manufacturing equipment, if they would take the old equipment out and they would send it to Germany, Japan, Italy, uh, you know, as part of the Marshall Plan. Mm-hmm. And they decided, no, we don't want to do that because we're going to be a monopoly. We're going to have a monopoly on the market yeah. over the next 15 to 20 years. Yeah. And when the uh, Marshall Plan was finally completed in the late 1960s. That's when Germany, Japan started to outproduce the U.S. with steel and all sorts of things. And I'm fully aware of that. Okay. You know, that's something that 
uh, has been going on for a long time. But, but that right, trickles also, down the to the worker. Right. The deindustrialization occurred primarily uh, after 1973 all the way through the uh, uh, 1980s. Yeah. And uh, in a sense, you know, we had people talking about we're going from an industrial economy to a post-industrial information-based economy, all that nonsense propaganda. But ultimately, you know, there was a time when one person could support a family and, you know, the children could even go to university, well, you know. At this point, uh, I, with, I think that... low-cost I, state universities. Some people... Universities have gotten very expensive, there's no doubt. Absolutely. And, and, but, you know, uh, Dr. Laura says, and I tend to agree with her, is that it's about priorities, that if a parent stays home, that they spend less money in gasoline and clothing and eating out and all the things that go into sort of having a job. And, you know, there's certainly a hit in the family budget, but my wife stays home and... Well, that's good, and she's fortunate to be able to do that because choices have to be made. But you have a situation whereby the government is, is mandating the people on, let's say, social welfare programs have to work, and yeah. they have to put their kids in child care. And, you know, you have this whole system it's, whereby... It's hard to, it's hard to stay in the black on child care. That stuff's exorbitant. It's hard it's to stay in the black. You're almost better off not working with child care. Really it's so expensive. Frank, thanks for the call. Free Talk Live, 855-450-3733. Thousands of years ago, from the time of Moses to the time of Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, and beyond. TrustedCoins.com brings you an incredible selection of authentic Greek, Biblical, Roman, and Byzantine ancient coins, all certified authentic by world-renowned numismatic expert, Ilya Slobin. Transport yourself to the distant past now at TrustedCoins.com. Free Talk Live, 855 450 free. It's a SACL toll free call in line. Dale, tell me about the AMP program. Uh, AMP's, AMP is a great way to help Free Talk Live get the message of liberty out. It's a great way. To, uh, it stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. And for $3 a month, you can help spread the message of FTL and get all kinds of cool perks as well. Some of the, the best perks are probably the, um, the AMP only uh, call in line. Um, that's, uh, that's one that Ian's pushed. We've actually got a new AMP call. AMP only archives that yeah. are you know, less, less commercials. And yeah, things. fewer commercials in the AMP, AMP only call in lines we've actually got a new phone system that i don't know i think it's better to call in on the regular phone system because i mean i get all this information. i was wondering about that like you I know is there answer. a way to make the amp call in line better so mm. that it doesn't so it can compete better with the <laughs> i really wonder at this point what uh, you know to me i think it's better to call in the regular number at 855-450 free because i can answer and drop calls um you know half across halfway across the nation our uh, our syndicate genesis communications network which is uh, you know we, we've always been syndicated by them and they've always been really great to us has invested in some new software for free talk live to uh, better be able to handle phones they've invested in a new uh, telephone number that's 855-450 free and, you know, our, our phone systems have really sort of been upgraded over the last month, and it's pretty awesome. So, anyway, the AMP program at amp.freetalklive.com. Really, what amplifiers are doing is spreading the message of liberty. Free Talk Live is an extraordinarily efficient system of doing that. We're, you know, so much better than so many of those other organizations out there that want your money. And you're not paying for people's salaries and stuff like you are there. 
you're just paying to advertise market and promote free talk live. We take care of our own salaries with advertising. Let's go to, oh, real quick, uncovering the secrets and exposing the lies. That's what the readers of freedomsphoenix.com get every day. Readers of freedomsphoenix.com are constantly provided the detailed real news that lies between the lines of propaganda and the relationship that we have with coercive governments. Freedomsphoenix.com offers up-to-the-minute updates on the economy, technology, communications, and the rise of the police state. It's freedomsphoenix.com. Let's go to Captain Ned in Florida. Captain Ned. Captain Ned. Vice Admiral Mark and Dale, great show, guys. Thank you. Hmm. Captain you guys, Ned. You guys, you guys really compliment each other. It's like a 308 punching through a quarter. I have no know? idea what a 308 <laughs> or a quarter is. That sounds impressive, though. It's, it's very impressive, very clean. Captain Ed, guys, I have a nautical question. Really, yes. Um, does one need to have a captain's license, what they call a six-pack license, if one does not take people on one's boat for money? Well, you really should have a six-pack license, and you know that's, uh, that's generally accepted. Okay. You know, just to make sure everybody comes back alive. Gotcha. All right, go yeah. on with what you um, had to say. It was a question I had for myself. I didn't anyway, fantastic uh, call by Stefan. And that guy is the dead hooker at the foot of the bed. That's awesome. <laughs> that got my attention. I had to call. <laughs> when you when is when your boat is when when the bed is out on a boat, you just push her out in the water, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I can't get in all that. Turn the water but, a little bit first. But one of my other you favorite be... callers is Frank. Man, that guy is great. He is awesome. You guys got a great show. But hey, day twelve for the incarceration of uh, Admiral Nian. Yep, I've got it at thirteen, but uh, he he says twelve too. He's counting twenty four hour periods. Yeah, I think it's I think it's twelve. Okay, but anyway, uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic show, and we've got to keep in mind that uh, I I'd like an I like an Ian to Admiral Perry. You know, the guy he, that he, discovered the North Pole. No, 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 South Pole. The, the Great Lakes Admiral Perry. Gotcha. I don't know. And uh, and Ian is just, he's doing a fantastic job, but I, I recommend one thing for you guys. Okay. You guys are like big bucks now. You got big antlers on, everybody's shooting for you. Keep your heads down, you know? You know, don't don't stick your head out for a trivial thing. I, and I hate to say this, but the girl who was drinking in public, that's kind of a trivial thing. Let her take the hit. The big bucks got to keep their heads down. Yeah. He, you know, for him, and I agree with everything that you're saying, um, Captain Ned, I, but for him, it's about morality. And he feels that if he tells other people that they should stand up to the police for when they're doing things that they consider to be unjust and all those things, that he has to do it himself. It's the reason. I, I understand that. Yep. Very admirable on his part. Yep. He's, yeah. a, he's, a, he's an extraordinarily moral man. He, Sometimes practicality comes into well, his vision. The way it described is he was inspired by seeing other people do the same thing, and he decided that the next time he saw an innocent person being uh, kidnapped by the police that he was going to stand in front of the police car. And real quick, guys, I want to get this off. I'd like to dedicate a song to, uh, to uh, Ian. It's David Bowie's Panic in Detroit, and I'll give you a quick line from it. The police have warned repercussions. They followed none too soon. And then I think that sums it all up. What was it? Give me the line again. You kind of uh, modulated okay. there. It's David Bowie. Yep. Panic in Detroit. The, you know, the, the father of glam rock. And the police had warned of repercussions. They followed none too soon. So, what do you, what, what's that mean to you? Yeah. Well, it's a very interesting song by uh, David Bowie back in the day. And uh, I'm an A-track guy, you know. And, yeah. and all you young kids out there, you know, get this Bowie song, Panic in Detroit, to Ian. He'll love it. But the police had warned of repercussions. 
they followed none too soon. Got it. Captain Dead, thanks. Okay, guys. Thanks, thanks for the call. Much. The, uh, I'm not sure how to get a song to Ian. Is there a way to do that? I don't know. I suppose you could uh, bring some kind of thing that plays music into the oh yeah um, the the little room there where you visit. There's the quality a lot of will oppor- suck. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of opportunity to visit him, although you don't get to see him in real life. Uh, when I was in prison, you know, the prison, you could go in and you could sit next to the the convict and touch them and hug them and you know eat food yeah, with them. Yeah, and, and then it like moved that. to the window being in between yep. you and now it's a video camera. Yeah, and you know where he's near it. Yeah, yeah, you know where. Yeah, he's a hundred yards away or more. Who knows? Yep. And even when it came to the window, there were somehow or another convicts seemed to smuggle things through. They would, you know, bore holes in the metal and then get like wow. stuff slid through the holes. It's, it's amazing, amazing the ingenuity that gets inspired by yes. uh, that sort of totalitarianism, right? Necessity is the mother of invention, yeah. and that there's nobody who needs it more than than convicts do. I uh, one of the in the first week that I was in county jail, they taught me how to boil water in a um, you know for like hot cocoa and stuff like that in a milk carton that you. Uh, hung by a string over this uh, thing that they called a bomb. It was toilet paper all wrapped up around your uh, your hand maybe a hundred different times. And then you took the ends of it and tucked it in so it looked like a little apple and dropped a match down the center. You could still smoke in county jails in mm-hmm. 1989 or whatever it was. And it would just kind of shoot a little flame up and then you'd hold the milk carton over it and some for some reason it didn't burn the milk carton through because <laughs> the water was in there and it you know created enough water, you know, heat to, to boil the milk uh, the, the water in there and you just you know mix it up with some water and make yourself a hot chocolate. It was bizarre. Wow, MacGyver. It absolutely <laughs> crazy stuff. Prison <laughs> MacGyvers. You couldn't you couldn't bring anything into a prison that had a little motor in it. Uh, if they if they brought in a van or something like that, the convicts you know would would somehow get to it, take the little squirter engine, the squirter stuff out of the you know the windshield wiper fluid squirters. They take those out of them, turn them into tattoo guns, anything kind of tape players and. Alarm wow. clocks with tape, uh, tape decks in them, all kinds of stuff. They'd take the little motors out and turn this them. This is into- why Australia is so great today. Why is they that? They send all the convicts over there, and they got engin- they, they use their ingenuity, and bam, we got Australia. Yeah, Australia is not. <laughs> and frankly, the, uh, I know, the, the history I'm of the United kidding, States yeah. isn't that much different. <laughs> I um, know. <laughs> I'm actually kidding. I know that, it's, it, that that whole story is incredibly exaggerated. And in fact, there's been massive immigration from all sorts of sources to our, to Australia. So. Same story. It's, it's not all rogues. The, you know, <laughs> the United States was uh, populated by people who were. Um, you know, the, the criminals, oftentimes political uh, dissidents and things like that, people that were kidnapped off the street, people that would trade a period, time in their lives in indentured servitude in order to get over here. And then, of course, people that were just grabbed and brought over here and enslaved for their lifetimes, their children's lifetimes and on in perpetuity. So, you know, it's uh, lots of different ways that people got over here back in the day. And Hopefully, we seem to be shedding this, the, the bonds of slavery. It was perfectly okay to beat your employees, your indentured servants at this time. I mean, they just did it, did it for any old reason, not working fast enough or talking back or whatever they felt like. They'd, they'd beat them, and you don't see that at work anymore, and that's a very good thing. So. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that we're moving more and more into it. I'm, I'm reading this, uh, listening. 
Go ahead. I know that. Well, and now I'm thinking back, not back as only as far as say like the mid 19th cent. No, sorry, 20th century. I guess uh, 1900s, mid 1900s. There were some scary stories about factory workers and mm-hmm. things like that, and the conditions and stuff. Not beating, not flat out yep. beating, but you know, some pretty bad, dangerous stuff. places to work. It's gotten better over time. Coal mines. I, th- I think mines are probably the, yeah. the have been historically the very worst in the, in this area. But I'm reading this, listening on audiobook to this book called Conceived in Liberty. I was trying to read it. A friend loaned it to me, Bile, actually, from blogofbile.com, loaned it to me, and I just haven't been able to get through this tome. So I decided I'm going to listen to it on audiobook. And I'm really enjoying it um, going that way. All you have to do is uh, you know, Google uh, the whatever, it, Conceived in Liberty audiobook, and you'll come up with what I'm listening to. And it's chapter by chapter. And it's, it's a pretty awesome way to listen to a really great book and find out just how far we've come as far as uh, liberty goes and just how much humans crave liberty. We don't yeah. have it right now. And but we are moving towards it. And yeah, I, I think so, too. There's room for, there's room for optimism for sure. Free Talk Live. <laughs> 